Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, the things aren't looking too great, are they? No. And hi, Josh. Hi, everybody. So I have a take on the lockout and I know everyone's sort of hanging in there and it's weird because at this time of year you start to think oh pitchers or catchers are going to report in a week or two and like you know things are getting excited it's because you know spring's around the corner uh we're past groundhog day you know <laughs> in the second mm-hmm. you know like it's that time of year where you start to get excited a little bit and and it's like no uh the lockout's just been such a you know <clears throat> dose of you know uh reality that's just you know it's not pleasant but my own take is i think the owners maybe underestimated the players' resolve. I think the owners maybe thought, okay, we'll give a little bit here and there, but they didn't realize how serious the players were about making meaningful change. And so I think that took them by surprise a little bit. And um, and and I think the owners are like rethinking things. I think we have until maybe, like keep in mind the the players don't get paid for spring training. So that's not really a hard stop for them. What's really a hard stop is the regular season, you know, and they still need a little window of time to get all the free agents signed. So my personal take is the hard stop is probably mid-March, let's say March 15th, because that'll give them two weeks to kind of get settled and, and, you know, find free agents. And that'll spill over into a little bit, but they can at least salvage most of the season if it's like March 15th. I think, I think they can hold out until then. And keep in mind, it's not like the old days when, you know, in Babe Ruth's days, people had other jobs and then they needed spring training to get back in shape. No, players are in shape, so that's not the issue. They're going to stay in shape. They have their workout routines and such. So they don't really need spring training all that much. And they're not getting paid for it. So I think really it's like their deadline is in mid-March or so. And I think the owners have a lot to lose the longer they wait because they've got national TV contracts and gate revenue and all their sort of revenue streams are going to get hurt if they, if not to mention spring training, if they wait too long. So I think it's an interesting ploy uh, kind of where we're at that the players are sort of being, you know, um, united in, in their, in their efforts to, you know, make a deal that hopefully they can be proud of. Yeah. I think those are some really good points. Um, I think, a lot of the reaction has been kind of along the lines of like, oh no, things aren't looking good. Spring training was like, some players were supposed to start reporting in the next week or two. That obviously is not going to happen on that time frame at least. So that means, oh, we have to push everything back and the season's going to be delayed or, or we're going to miss lose games or whatever. And I think that's still a, a distinct possibility. I'm, I'm not that optimistic as to say like, nope, we're still on track here. Everything's fine. But I think it's more of, all right, we're at this point now and there is no traction toward a deal. This we're at, we're at the point where things could still get done in a reasonable time frame, but even if they do, it's going to be kind of messy, kind of complicated to schedule things out. It's going to be kind of a big rush of if, if, if it is like you're saying, if it's even like the first or second week of March that a deal gets agreed to, then it's like, okay, is there going to be, is everyone just reporting right away and we go on with this abbreviated spring training schedule or are we going to give it another week or two and then uh, for, for, you know, teams to complete trades, sign players, etc. And then players will report and we'll just push everything back a couple weeks or whatever. 
so I think we're in the territory where things are going to have to get a little messy schedule wise, uh, even if they do start on time or close to on time. Uh, but yeah, I share I share some of your I don't know if optimism is the right word for it, but just uh, less less pessimism. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, I share some yeah. of those ideas, um, especially because I mean we've it's been kind of a consensus for a while that spring training's too long already, like normal spring training. Twenty uh, twenty season, obviously everything that happened there with the season getting shortened players didn't get a real spring training and, and yeah there were increased injuries it's hard to tell exactly how much was attributed to what to the abrupt start and stop the shorter spring training whatever but as you kind of pointed out the one of the bigger upsides here with this season as opposed to 2020 is that the players could kind of see this coming a little bit and they knew heading into this off season there was a distinct possibility of a lockout and then once the lockout started, they knew they would be on their own completely for training. And, and it's something that they're probably at least somewhat used to of, you know, everyone has their own off-season training plans. I don't know how regularly guys check in with team staff, but, you know, they kind of expected to be on their own. And, and they, you know, at least had the idea in their mind that there might be some sort of a delay, if not to the season, at least to spring training. And so I think players have been able to to plan for that. And, and like you said, they're going to be fresh and ready. They're probably not going to need that entire dragged out spring training that we're used to. Yeah. I mean, you could make an argument that the hitters need to get their timing and the pitchers need to find their spots and, you know, that's all well and good. And, but, you know, look, it's not going to kill them if, if they missed most of spring training and they could use the first week or two of the regular season to kind of get that rhythm going. Uh, but the other thing is logistically, you know, like, if this were a normal season, they'd be like lining up. Okay, where am I going to stay in Arizona or Florida? Like, am I, you know, am I rooming with somebody? Am I living in an apartment? Am I living in a hotel? You know, like that's all like totally out. You know, and especially for international, like if you're in the Dominican Republic, for example, are you coming over yet or not? Like, there's all these logistical questions and travel questions that, if we're not having spring training, you know, all of that stuff, you know, just kind of like it becomes you know a mystery and then all there's a whole bunch of free agents that still had don't have teams yet carlos correa trevor story freddie freeman and on and on you know those are the big names but there's a whole bunch of middle class names that haven't found teams yet as well and those guys are you know they have no idea where they're going right so they're going to need to find teams and then figure out where they're going so i think all of that is going to be, I don't have any clue how, how that's going to play out. I just know that the players are resolved in making some sort of meaningful change. And I think they can wait a little bit longer to get there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and I think your first point that you made on this was a really good one that, that I don't think the owners anticipated such a unified response. And, and now these coming few weeks, we might be seeing them kind of adjusting their game plan a bit, or, or we might see more radio silence. Who knows there? <laughs> um, but uh, one other point on, you know, the transaction freeze aspect of it is, I, I believe, as we've mentioned on the podcast before, teams can still discuss trades with other teams. Uh, I don't know if they are. I mean, if they are, not, not much has really leaked. It doesn't seem, but they can discuss them with other teams. They just obviously can't complete trades, can't have physicals taken, that kind of thing. Um, so, and there are going to be some deals that are a little bit contingent on the way that the financial landscape of the game looks on the other side with the new CBA. So I, there's, there's going to be some frameworks that are discussed. I don't think we're going to have, you know, the typical NBA thing where, you know, 
day one of the off season, everyone signs because nobody actually follows the rules and, and, <laughs> and uh, there's, there's teams and players talking before that, before they're technically allowed to that kind of thing. I don't think we're going to have that. I also don't think it's going to be all right. Everyone's just been sitting on their hands on, on transactions, both trades and signings. I don't think everybody's just been sitting on their hands for the last three months, whatever. And we have to start all that from scratch. I think there's a lot that teams will be able to work off of from discussions before the lockout and on the free agent point, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some teams kind of skirting the rules, you know, maybe they're not reaching out directly to an agent, but they have some sort of third party, you know, helping pass notes along of, yeah, we're still interested in you. Like, like, what are you, what are you thinking for your price? Like that kind of thing. So I have a little bit more of op- optimism on that side of things logistically, but yeah, you, you also raised a really good point about the whole <laughs> spring training housing situation and, and work visas for some international players, that kind of thing. Uh, one of the other, one of the little tidbits of news we did get, uh, we, we don't have much other news for this episode other than the lockout stuff. Uh, but one of the other tidbits of news that did come through was about the AAA season. It's going to be a little bit longer this year, and, and it, I believe it is still going to happen on schedule regardless of the CBA because minor league players are not covered under it. Um, but the, the caveat there is that minor league players aren't covered unless they're on a 40 man. So I wonder how it's going to work out with rosters and such to start all the minor league seasons. But, you know, as many as 15 players that would have been on those, I guess 14 now, 26 man rosters, uh, 40 man roster minus the 26 big league guys. Uh, you know, as many as 14 of those of the players who should have potentially been on that AAA team, they can't play. <laughs> so I wonder how that's going to work, what kind of impact that has up and down the minor league ladder. Um, and then there's like all kinds of other considerations. The Rule 5 draft still hasn't happened, at least the major league portion. And so that could be cause some weirdness, some transactions after the after the fact. You could see guys play games in in the start of the minor league season. And then the Rule 5 draft happens, and they join a big league team after already playing, you know, minor league games the same season. It's it's going to be yeah. weird, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, that occurred to me as well. Like, wow, we still haven't done all the things we were supposed to have done in, like, December. You know, so, um, yeah, and uh, it's weird. It's a double-edged sword because, yay, you're added to the 40. Whoa, boo, he can't play. So, um, yeah, so they're kind of stuck in limbo. And then there's a few guys who were DFA'd right before the lockout who were also stuck in limbo. They don't know if they're on the team or not. So those are weird situations. Sheldon Noisy comes to mind. Um, There's also – but the good news is, especially for fans, is there will be actual baseball. And I don't know if it will be on TV or anything, but minor leaguers will actually be in spring training and presumably have games after that. So even though the ones that are not on the 40 – you know, at least that's something uh, that we can at least look at and we can watch some prospects as they develop. So that's good news if there's nothing else. You got to think that MLB Network by that point will be kind of tired of playing, you know, old Kevin Costner <laughs> baseball movies <laughs> and firing I, yeah. Ken Rosenthal and, <laughs> and all yeah. of that nonsense. You got to think they'll be done with that and they'll be itching to televise something. Um, at least at some of the ballparks that might be more equipped and, and able to do so. I, I think it would be yeah, I mean, definitely a silver lining of all of this if we get to watch some minor league baseball. That would be kind of fun. Yes. So speaking of minor leaguers. Great transition. Where... Yes. <laughs> so um, you might notice on the site, if you've followed us, um, there's been a few evaluation changes. 
um, mostly in the lower ranks of teams, and that's because Baseball America just released the digital version of their prospect handbook, which, you know, is a, is a source. Um, they're great at what they do, and so they had already released their top tens, but now we can see the rest of the list from 11 to 30, and now they're going to like 40, uh, typically. And so that's very helpful. And so there's some that in the middle and sort of lower tiers whose valuations will have changed as a result. Not a lot, and the most of the changes are minor because we already kind of had them in the system at a certain range. Uh, but there's a couple of movers here and there. So um, don't don't be surprised if you see a guy who went from you know three to four or five to two or stuff like that. So um, those are happening as we speak. Yeah. Uh actually relevant to uh to some of what we'll talk about later in the episode as i as i realized we didn't i, I never mentioned what we are going to be talking about this episode <laughs> so mm. we'll be doing uh, as you can see by the uh episode title we're doing a part four of our trade market dominoes we think this might be the last one we'll see we're not going to make any promises because we've made promises before and <laughs> quickly changed our minds after the fact um but a handful of these deals that I have pulled up for the teams that we're going to discuss today um, are before some uh, adjustments to prospects, and, and I'll try to point those out when I can. Um, okay. Just to say that the, the values aren't quite up to date to the fullest, but, you know, in, in most of these cases, it'll just be a small, you know, at most a few million in trade value adjustment, and you can say, okay, well, either swap that guy out for a guy who's a little bit below him, or add a little piece on the other side, or maybe it's just within the margin of error anyway, or whatever so none of it should be too big of a deal just wanted to yep. uh, point that out before i forget to do so <laughs> yep and while we're at, while we're at it so the original idea of this whole trade market domino series was you know right after the flurry of free agent signings happened um, and there were a couple of last minute trades as well you know there was like oh okay activity is happening okay now what's the effect on that like the rangers signed seer and Semyon, and now what's there are they going to trade I, I can't you know so you know what are the domino effects that happened after that flurry of activity for the most part which was uh, free agent activity and so we started with some of the bigger name teams that were active there but we realized hey we had a lot to talk about and so we've been kind of going through now sort of most of the other teams that that you know still have some issues uh some holes to fill and we're going to look at those situations now yeah, and one last thing uh, I, I want to mention really quick before we get into that is that coming out of the lockout, I mean, we don't exactly, I mean, nobody has any clue what the new CBA is going to look like at this point. There's been so many ideas thrown back and forth. Uh, it doesn't make too much sense to speculate right now on our end, but I think it's safe to say that there will be some adjustments to the financial structure that might, you know, trickle down and have impacts on our values on the site, and we'll have to adjust for those as soon as we as soon as things become finalized. So expect some updates um, after the lockout ends. Uh, expect some up, uh, updates potentially up and down rosters, likely more just for um, for 40-man type guys. You know, if they increase the major league minimum salary or if they, uh, I mean, the, the arbitration bonus pool idea likely wouldn't have any real impact since that's uh, a bonus pool and not, increased funds that teams then will have to play the pay, pay the players themselves mm -hmm. uh but if there are any other changes to arbitration or, or what or if i know they had dropped the idea but if somehow it works its way back in of the whole free agency at age 29 and a half with five years of service or whatever um, if any of that stuff becomes implemented we'll obviously have to adjust it on the back end as well so uh, yeah. keep an eye out for that and we'll be as, as soon as we know more we will be telling it to you guys will be very upfront about it. So yeah, exactly. Just to get that so, out there. Yeah, exactly. So I, I expect for the most part, 
you know there will be some agreement on the on the major league minimum salary so uh, assuming there's an increase there it depends on just to what degree there is an increase you know to how, how impactful it is so if it's just a little bit it probably won't change the values much but if it's significant you know that you know those first three years of service if if they go from six to seven for example uh, 600k to 700k you know, then that could have a little bit more of an effect as, as time goes on, and a little bit more um, downstream effect as well on the arbitration prices. So we'll, we'll have to crunch the numbers again, depending on how it all shakes out. Yep, and yeah, I don't have much else to say there. Cool. <laughs> Are all you right. ready to uh, get into yeah. our first team for the potentially final part of our trade market domino series? Let's, uh, let's we're going to be starting with the Chicago White Sox this time, and I will let John take it from here. So the White Sox were all in in 2021. As we know, they, you know, they gave up a uh, a lot to get just Craig Kimball, which meant they were going for it. Right. Um, they and they had a very solid team, really great lineup, you know, really top to bottom, a strong starting pitching staff. They beefed up their their bullpen, which was already strong to begin with, with Hendricks and a couple other guys. Uh, Garrett Crochet comes to mind. So now um, they've got a situation where they didn't quite get as far as they wanted to, and they're still in win-now mode. They've still got some superstars. They've got Abreu and Moncada and Grandal and Robert and Jimenez. Tim Anderson, you know, that's a very strong lineup, but they've got a couple holes to fill. Um, they don't have a second baseman uh, unless you – want to put Lurie Garcia there and he's okay, but he's a utility guy. They have an Andrew Vaughn problem because he's a, you know, first round draft pick, strong hitter, but he doesn't really belong in the outfield. He's really a first baseman who's blocked by, uh, by Abreu, Abreu, excuse me. And so, you know, do you use him as DH? Do you try to work his way and work him in the lineup? He wasn't as, you know, they might've brought him up a little bit too early, which is another issue. He hasn't, quite established himself yet so maybe there's another gear there so anyway he's a possible trade chip so it may just be a matter of getting rid of him to fill some of the other holes and then you've got um, a rotation that could probably use one more arm you've got a really strong top three of Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease who really broke out last year but Dallas Keuchel is sort of seeing better days and he really was not good last year so he's a question mark and then for your fifth spot you know, roster resources, Michael Kopech there, who was in the bullpen, but was always sort of anticipated to be a starter. And so he just needed time to kind of get his get his feet wet again and get the innings uh, back up because uh, he hadn't pitched since 2019, 2018. Uh, anyway, for various reasons. So but he, they still anticipate being him being a starter, but he hasn't really proved it yet. So you got a couple of question marks on the back of your of your rotation. Your bullpen is still looking very strong. In addition to Hendricks and Bummer and Crochet, they also send Kendall Graveman, and they still have Kimball, though they're sending signals that they might trade him. So your trade pieces are probably Kimball and Vaughn, and you've got um, at least one more bat you need, maybe a second baseman, maybe an outfielder, because Vaughn doesn't belong there. And you probably need one more rotation arm. So that's the state of the White Sox, and you're going for it. So, and by the way, you have the worst farm in baseball, so you don't have a whole lot of prospect capital to play with. Your capital is probably Vaughn and Kimbrel, and you know, and that's probably you know maybe a, a mid-level prospect. Yeah, I think that's a very thorough assessment of where they are right now. <laughs> They've got a handful of holes, and with with the weak farm, not great avenues to fill them and I, I think they have some payroll space and so maybe that's you know they can go grab 
I don't know, off the top of my head, Josh Harrison at second base or something. That's going to be very uninspiring for them, but at least it, you know, fills a hole on the cheap, I guess. And, and he and Garcia can both be kind of utility guys. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, but yeah, and you <laughs> I, know, I, it's going to have to be what I'm trying to say is it's probably going to have to be a mix of maybe a trade or two along with a little bit of spending. Yeah, I agree. And, and I was remiss in not mentioning Carlos Rodon, who was their, mm-hmm. you know, number three starter, maybe, you know, he was, he was a very good last year until he started to have some health problems and a shoulder issue, which it's significant because, oh, look, they need another starter. Oh, who's the best free agent starter in the market? Oh, Carlos Rodon. But they didn't, you know, offer him a QO. I'm not sure if they want him back. And that shows you how, you know, they probably, how seriously th- they take that shoulder issue with him. So, you know, buyer beware there for anybody who's signing Rodon. If the White Sox don't want him, that's probably a red flag. And the White Sox could use another arm. So um, that's an issue unto itself. So if they don't sign Rodon, to your point, if they've got some dollars to spend, after that, who are they adding for the rotation? Or is it one of the arms from the A's or the Reds maybe in a trade? Yeah, Rodon is represented by Scott Boris. And so... We know what he's got in mind. We know he's just going to be trying to maximize money in years. And there have been some kind of public leakings of some disagreement between the two sides on his shoulder, on his health. And so I just see a return there as super unlikely, especially with how many teams still need a high-end starting pitcher that didn't get one. You know, the, the Dodgers need another arm. The Twins need pitching. The Rangers need pitching. The there, there's many teams there's a few i'm missing and, yep. and so those teams can look to oakland or to cincinnati or even the marlins maybe if they decide to make a move uh but those are going to cost them depending on who they trade for it's going to cost them money and prospects and, and a lot of those teams i'm sure would prefer to just spend money you know especially the dodgers someone like that so i think there's going to be teams that are just willing to go more money if not also more money and more years for Rodon so I think he is a very very unlikely uh, candidate to return to Chicago so I think they're gonna have to look somewhere else for for their innings next year yeah all right ready to get into the first trade here sure uh first one we have here was actually featured on the site a couple weeks ago and I am including it because I don't like it at all um <laughs> and and John is the one who featured it so I I'd, I'd like to get his opinion here on on why he either did like it or or just why he featured it. <laughs> um no and again nothing against uh against the user who submitted it. It was user JRRJR uh but I just don't oh, think yeah. this solves any problems for either team. I think it creates more than it solves really. So it's a deal between the Rangers and the White Sox. Has the White Sox acquiring Isaiah Kiner-Falefa at $8.5 million in median trade value. Uh, left-handed pitcher Colby Allard at 3.6. And right-handed reliever Jose Leclerc at negative 1.1. So they get $11 million total. In exchange, the Rangers receive outfield prospect Yoel T. Cespedes at 6.9. Right-handed pitching prospect Norhe Vera at 4.1. And starting pitcher... Reynaldo Lopez at zero. We had him as a non-tender candidate, um, and, and he's also worked in the bullpen a little bit. He's a bit of a, a failed prospect in himself, and it's it's probably more than anything just kind of buying low and seeing if he can uh, work in some capacity for them. But I don't see this one much at all. It's an even 11-11 uh, for each side. Uh, right now, the White Sox 
uh, have 17 up votes to 20 down votes, and the Rangers have 15 up to 29 down. And so the first issue I take in this is that the White Sox are adding Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who, you know, makes some sense as a trade candidate for the Rangers. They just signed Seager and Simeon, and they have uh, Young coming up to play third base. And so there's not a, a long-term spot for Kiner-Falefa anymore. He's going to be their utility guy. He's a little better than that, so might as well move him. And he's got some positive value. I get that. But for the White Sox, it doesn't make a ton of sense to add a guy with a glove like Kiner-Falefa's, where he's been you know, a gold glove candidate at third base and shortstop, but not much of a hitter. I don't think that makes sense to fill their second base solution. And I know, you know, probably what should happen if they were to make this deal is they should let Kiner Falefa play shortstop and move Tim Anderson to second base because he's not the best defensive shortstop. But I don't think they're going to, you know, it's the whole veteran, Tim Anderson's their guy and and he's got a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger, and, and you might just want to kind of leave him where he is, especially being a younger guy. Um leader of the infield type with that shortstop. I think you just leave him where he is. That, that's what they would want to do. Um, so I don't get Kiner Falefa as their second base solution, really. Colby Allard, I think they would want to shoot a little bit higher than that if they could in their rotation. He's really former top prospect, but really, really unproven. Hasn't done a whole lot at the big league level. And I don't think they need Jose Leclerc. They have a pretty loaded bullpen and don't really need to be taking salary on. So I don't get any of the pieces that they're getting. Um, and they're giving up two of their better prospects and a very weak farm here. Texas, on the other hand, they need arms. I don't know if they want to move Colby Allard. They might also be shooting higher, but they're in a different competitive spot than the White Sox. So I don't think, uh, I don't think they need to be prioritizing wins right now quite as much as the White Sox do. So I think if, if either of these two teams would rather have Allard, it's probably the Rangers. Um, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not seeing the appeal in Reynaldo Lopez. Um, and I think there's just better deals that they can make um, for Kiner Falefa that might also address the big league team in some way. I mean, they're picking up two decent prospects here, but they have a pretty deep farm of those mid-tier guys, and they're obviously trying to make a push at the big league level right now. So I think that's probably what they would prioritize in a return. So uh, again, not to <laughs> not to tear the deal to shreds, either either to JRRJR or to, to John for selecting yeah. it, but I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, your take on this one. So I don't disagree with your points, actually, and I'm not totally sold on this trade either. Um, I just thought it was interesting because it was a little bit out of the, outside the box. I, you know, when I looked at it, I was like, huh, okay. I squinted a little bit, but like, okay. And the main thing I was looking at was IKF to second base for the White Sox because they have a hole to fill and Texas has you know, no place to put him right now, at least as a regular. So I was like, okay, he's expendable from Texas. He's needed somewhere in the infield in Chicago. Okay, that makes sense. They could also use another, use another arm. I think uh, Colby Allard has kind of gotten the, kind of shaken off some rust and, and maybe he has another gear in him to maybe be a fourth starter. So I could kind of see it that way for Chicago to fill that need as well. Now, you know, on the other side, I, it's, it's hard to really, you know, well, Cespedes, I think, has legit upside. I mean, he's still very young. He's still a lot of, bit of a lottery ticket, but he could be a, the next superstar. And then Texas really needs kind of that high end because when you look at their farm, you know, they've got lighter and they've got John at the top. But other than that, it's sort of a lot of mid-rangey guys and sort of floor guys, but not really a ceiling guy. And Cespedes is a ceiling guy who could become a top 50 prospect in a year or two. So I like it from that point of view if they're looking at the longer term. 
Admittedly, it's not the most perfect sort of framework, but you can squint and see it. And I also, uh, I don't mean to imply that you're you're selecting it as a featured trade as your ringing endorsement and, and they should do this deal right now. It, it, a lot of the time you respond to uh, feedback of other users, which trades are more popular, have more upvote, downvote, more discussion, that kind of thing. And, and other times just like, hey, let's raise this point for discussion because like you said, it is a little bit more outside of the box, something that exactly. hasn't been featured. We can only feature, you know, Sean Mania to the Mets so many different ways or exactly. Matt Olson to the Yankees so many different ways. Um, I do wonder if, um, if we are set on making a deal between these two teams, I think I will. I think I like one of the Rangers other second basemen as a better fit um, heading to the White Sox than Kiner Falefa. And they have, they don't have any other real, big league guys who can who can step in right away and and start opening day at second base for the white Sox, but they do have a lot of middle infield prospects who are you know double a triple a type ezekiel duran trevor however uh, josh smith and then on the high end they have justin foscue who i don't think they're trading but those other three guys should all be available and I wonder if the White Sox could make an aggressive trade for one of those guys with the thought being, okay, well, let Larry Garcia handle the spot most of the time or, or sign a Josh Harrison or whoever type and let them handle the spot for the first half of the season and, and let one of these guys maybe push their way onto the roster later in the year as they work their way through the minor league system, double A, triple A, and, and potentially be a longer term solution for them. Yeah, you could. I mean, certainly they, uh, the Rangers have a glut of second base prospects now. And with the signing of Simeon, who figures to be in that spot for years to come, they're expendable. So I think you can make a case for that. Um, the other thing that you might consider with this particular framework is maybe you put IKF at third for Chicago and move Moncada to second because Moncada has the bat for second and IKF has the glove for third. Um, you know, and maybe you improve your defense if you still keep Keichel who's a lefty ground ball guy. He's facing a lot of righties. who's going to hit a lot. Of, so you maybe need that really strong glove at third. Um, so, you know, you can squint and make a case there. I would push back on that because there was some reporting that uh, Moncada was not a, the, the metrics didn't love him at second base. And it wasn't, it doesn't seem like it was a situation where like, oh, he just wasn't comfortable. Give him more time and he'll get there. Like, they improved drastically at third base, and I think there was some reporting that, like, yeah, he, he just likes that a lot better. He's he's not a second baseman. He's a third baseman, and, and his bat improved as he moved across the diamond, too. So I okay, don't fine. know if they want to play with him. <laughs> all right. All I, right. Don't, I don't I'm, need I'm, to start I'm, arguments <laughs> on the podcast, but... <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I, I'm not in love with this trade either, so I'm mm -hmm. totally with you. All right. Let's move on to the next one. I like this one a little bit more. Um, so this one's with the Rays and the White Sox. It has the White Sox acquiring Vidal Brujan as their second base solution. We have him at $26.9 million. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough, left-handed pitcher, fills the rotation. Pretty similar to Keuchel, you know, ground ball guy. Uh, we have him at $4.5 million. And then outfielder Cal Stevenson, I believe it's Cal, um, at $1.7 million. I'm, I'm pulling up his page right now. but uh, So that's 33.1 total headed to the White Sox. And to the Rays, it is one player, first baseman Andrew Vaughn at 35.3. Uh, so this proposal from DKIM99, we've had a lot of Rays fans on the site. Uh, one of their primary needs from their perspective is, well, obviously they want to offload a little bit of money, and they're doing so here with Yarbrough. 
Uh, they have a big glut of middle infielders who are all almost ready for the show, if, if not already ready for the show. And so Bruhan, that's that fit right there. And the Rays need a bigger right-handed bat. That's going to be one of their top priorities, it sounds like, after the lockout. So done deal right there. So the Rays get Vaughn, who is a, a long-term solution for them. And it doesn't cost them anything that they can't afford to lose. I think all that this one really hinges on is where the White Sox are on Vaughn. He was projected as like an elite, elite hitter. You, you don't see many first basemen go as early in the draft as he did. Um, college first baseman and, and rising through the, the minors as a top prospect as being a first base only type. You don't see that very often. Even with you know a guy like Spencer Torkelson, he's been playing third base corner outfield He's not just a first baseman. That's kind of what you have with Vaughn. I mean, he can fake it in the corner outfield spots maybe, but he's he, he's a first baseman. There's not much defensive value there. And so the bats really got to play. And to this point, it's been okay in the big leagues, but it hasn't been quite to that elite level that um, a lot of people expected it to be. So, I mean, if the White Sox have soured on him, this, meal, this deal makes a lot of sense for them. But if they still think he's an elite guy long-term, I don't think they're going to give up five years of that. Uh, for a second baseman, regardless of how talented Bruhan is, he is just a second baseman. So I, I think it just really hinges on what they think of Vaughn. Yeah, I mean, I like this one as well. Let me just say that um, from the Rays' perspective, I like it a lot because they are looking for a right-handed bat. Vaughn fits their MO very much. He's still pre-arb, lots of control. You know, maybe he, having gotten his feet wet, maybe he, he kicks it into gear, you know, with the upset coming in the next year or two. So it's a typical raise trade. And certainly they can afford to lose Bruhan because they don't, they, he's blocked there. Um, you know, so they, they don't, uh, they don't have, you know, unless they move him around a bit, but you know, <clears throat> it's a little bit of a risk, I think from the White Sox point of view, because as you said, they've invested a lot in Vaughn already. And I think they still want him to succeed, but they'd be throwing him away for another gamble. Bruhan, who was very talented, but also shaky because, you know, he looked really bad in his cup of coffee, you know, and the question is, you know, is he going to adjust to big league, big league pitching? And in addition to where is he going to play, but he can play second, I think. And if the bat is as good as advertised, then you've got a longer term solution. But I think also the other thing is timing. You know, if the White Sox are in win now mode, I'm not sure they want to like spend trade capital on a guy who's a maybe, you know, to help him this year. Maybe he peaks in two years, but their window could be closed in two years. So they need a guy who's going to help them win right now. And so I'm not sure that fits that MO. Yeah, we've seen teams as a general trend, either on the free agent market or in the trade market, just shy away from devoting significant assets, significant capital to second baseman. Uh, in free agency, second baseman, they've been getting less and less every year. And, and I, I don't think it makes sense for the White Sox to go out and make some big splash at second base. I think the rest of their offense is fine. It can handle having a Larry Garcia type at second base. I, I understand if they want to get some sort of a, you know, I've said his name three times now, but a Josh Harrison type. <laughs> Jonathan VR. There we go. Different name. <laughs> but someone like that just to push Larry Garcia back to the bench and give them that flexibility. If someone gets hurt, they're not immediately scraping down into the minor leagues for backup. Um, I think in general, that's probably a better philosophy for them than spending significant 
players or, or money or anything like that on their second base answer especially since they could also maybe use a corner outfield bat maybe they spend some money on michael conforto and, and what we mentioned mm-hmm. before with their rotation um I, I just think those are higher priorities because you can find a somewhat capable second baseman in a lot of places um, yeah but but it's harder to find a solid hitting corner outfielder or a capable major league starter i think i think the rotation should really be their number one focus um so yeah, yeah. I, I i like the trade in for the rays a lot and it just looking at it it feels like the kind of trade where if that came through like the twit the the, the twitter wire it, it would it would feel right it feels realistic even even not looking at the values it's like yeah that that makes a lot of sense and so i like it from that standpoint but yeah i, I don't think it it doesn't align with what my plan for the white Sox would be yeah, and to your point, you know, last year they traded for Cesar Hernandez at the deadline, who's, you know, no great shakes, but he's a capable second baseman, you know, um, and they didn't re-sign him, presumably because, you know, they could, as you were saying, probably he's not a, you know, a guy like that is not a high priority. So the maybe I, I could see them signing a Harrison or a VR type, um, who's very much along those lines. Um, there were rumors or at least a lot of trade proposals of Adam Frazier going to the White Sox because he fits the mold as well. And yet another guy who, um, you know, it fits the sort of pattern that we've seen, which is second basemen are heavily discounted by the market. So you can get them fairly cheaply, either on the free agent market or in the trade market. A veteran guy who's perfectly capable, uh, if not Adam Frazier, then somebody else like that. So I agree, it's not not the highest priority for them. Probably not the guy, not the spot you want to trade Bond for. Hey John, let's let's talk about. Uh, this is going to catch you way off guard here. Uh, let's talk about Adam Frazier to the White Sox. <laughs> you, you, I, I don't I didn't show you any of these deals ahead of time, but uh, what a what a transition there. Uh, so this deals <laughs> from user KXW between the Mariners and White Sox. And it's a straight one for one. Uh, Adam Frazier to the White Sox at 0.8 million, and Craig Kimbrell to the Mariners at 0.6. Uh, there was a report that came out just this week that the Mariners are—they're still very active, or expected to be very active on the free agent infield market. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they could sign both Chris Bryant and Trevor Story. They are both involved uh, still on both of those guys, even after trading for Adam Frazier. And also within that report it's not a done deal that Adam Frazier is going to play for the Mariners this season. They could look to flip him very, you know, Jerry DePoto esque of we'll get him because right now he fills a spot and we'll be fine if we open the season with him, but we want to shoot higher and we're not afraid to flip him elsewhere if, if we get what we want. So I think he like, like he's always made a lot of sense for the white Sox. He's exactly that type that we were just talking about the, vr or harrison type where he can play second base a lot of days but also play some other positions and he and garcia kind of are both that utility type and just give the roster a lot of flexibility so i think he works for them for that he's a left-handed bat which i know they have less of um and, and the cost for them is just a guy that they're reportedly looking to trade anyway and craig kimbrell and maybe he makes more sense for the mariners than frazier does especially if they can get um if they can get one of those free agent infielders or, or trade for Matt Chapman or whatever they decide to do. Uh, you wonder about the money with the Mariners. That's that's really the only thing that I could see being a holdup here. I don't know how high they're willing to push their budget, but you figure it's a one-year thing for Kimbrell. It, 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 they can go a little bit past where they maybe wanted to originally for a one-year deal. 
and he just really shores up that bullpen. They can give him the closer spot right away, let Paul Sewald and Diego Castillo be kind of their seventh, eighth inning types. And I think it really, I I, <laughs> I hadn't thought of this before, but I kind of love it. I'm sold on it. Please uh, give your honest take, but uh, be warned that if you splash cold water on this for me, I'll be very sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I liked it as an idea before Frazier was traded to Seattle and when he was on the Padres, I, I, I saw a lot of trade proposals come through. We had a feature one or two. It seemed to make a lot of sense. It just He's exactly the type that the White Sox need, as you mentioned. Um, I'm a little hesitant, though, on the Mariners' side because they just traded for him. And I know DePoto, DePoto loves to make trades, so I don't you know, doubt for a second that he would flip him. On the other hand, though, you know, they need a second baseman in Seattle, and he's probably just sort of hedging his bets, thinking, okay, I've got one now, not the first priority, so I'm going to go start shopping for other things, and if I get the other things, then maybe I'll flip them. That's kind of the way he rolls. So, so I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an obvious move. I think it's sort of a, you know, plan D for him to move him again. Um, and I can see them using Kimbrel in the closer spot, uh, just because it's sort of, he's the guy that they want to compete now, and then they have a strong bullpen, a very undervalued bullpen, by the way, very strong last year. A bunch of guys like Paul Sewell who came out of nowhere. They traded for Castillo, so he technically could be their closer. At the time when they traded for him, you know, they sort of made made some comments about that. But maybe they need a one-two punch, and maybe Kimbrel puts puts that bullpen over the top. So I'm I'm stretching a little bit to see it. I don't think it's a perfect match from the Seattle side. Certainly love it from the White Sox side, though. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure if this were to happen that Kimbrel would be the most talented relief arm in that bullpen, at least, you know, in, in terms of track record, obviously. But in terms of, you know, what he's going to bring to the table in 2022, I don't think, I don't know if necessarily he's that number one guy, but I think with him being Craig Kimbrell and with how vocal he's been about, you know, kind of blaming some of his struggles from his time with the White Sox on being asked to pitch in the seventh and eighth inning. I, I think he kind of, if a team is trading for him, they kind of have to give him the ninth right away uh, until he, he proves that he really can't handle it anymore, which we'll have to wait and see. He's a really polarizing guy right now. He's a really tough guy to feel super comfortable trading for, I'd say. But if all it's going to cost you is a guy you already kind of got for free and Adam Frazier and, and and I will agree that it's very contingent here on being able to make other moves. This isn't just a first first day out of the lockout, boom, they're doing this. Um, it, it depends on whether they make another trade or other signings for more talented infielders that kind of push Frazier out of the picture. So it's a big if, but if that happens, I think this makes all the sense in the world. Okay. All right, let's move on to our last White Sox trade. And it is another Craig Kimbrell deal, uh, maybe a little bit more traditional. Uh, this one's from user MF24. It has Kimbrell at 0.6 million heading to the Philadelphia Phillies, who always need bullpen help. In exchange, the White Sox are adding Gene Segura, second baseman at negative 4.1, and outfielder Simon Muziati at Oh, now he has bumped up to uh, 4.5 in a recent update. In this deal, he was listed as 2.4, but after a prospect update, he's up at 4.5. So it actually makes the uh, values themselves even closer. Um, it makes it 0.6 headed to the Phillies and 0.4 headed to the White Sox. Gotta love that from a valuation point of view. 
And so yeah. it's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this one is also sort of a popular idea. I've seen it a lot on Twitter. I've seen it in our, seen it on our trade boards. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it, it kind of makes sense, you know, older guy for older guy, you know, expendable guy for expendable guy, you know, fits the need on both sides. You know, it's hard to argue with it, really. Um, Segura is another guy that, you know, is in that same sort of camp of the other guys you mentioned you know, to play second base. You can still hit a little bit. Gene Gene, the hitting machine, still got some life in him. Um, not much on defense, but he can still hit, which is what you want out of the second baseman these days anyway. You know, like I said, they can afford to, you know, uh, let Kimball go. On the Phillies side, you know, obviously, you know, they need bullpen help, but it fits the Dombrowski mold of, you know, I've got money. I'm going to spend it on a guy who hopefully is impact impactful. And Dabrowski had him when he was at the, with the Red Sox as well. So there's that connection. So it makes sense from that point of view. And you throw in a prospect to even it out. I think it makes sense. The Phillies are just a little bit tough for me. They are in a weird spot competitive. And, and this, they're going to be the next team we talk about. So maybe this helps kind of transition into that. Um, so just briefly, yeah, really like it from the White Sox perspective. They trade a guy they don't need and fill a spot they do with a pretty talented player in Segura and add a little prospect for their troubles. So obviously I'd really like it for them. Um, but the Phillies and, and we can use this to transition into talking about them and getting into those deals that I have lined up, but they have a lot of spots they need to upgrade. They, they basically need two outfielders. One of them has got to be a center fielder because they have Harper and not a lot else there. They could really use a better middle infielder at either spot. I mean, I guess they could go with Segura at shortstop. Uh, you know, if this deal were not to <laughs> were not to happen, I guess they could go with Segura at shortstop and sign a second baseman, or or sign one of a guy like Story or something. Basically, they have Segura and Didi Gregorius, but Didi Gregorius is not the player he once was. I, I don't think they'll feel too confident penciling him in as their starter next season. And and one of the biggest priorities they need to have is just upgrading the defense all around. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to make all of these changes, all of these adjustments, because almost every spot on the diamond for them is a minus defensively. They have JT Realmuto, who's great behind the plate, and Harper, who's pretty solid in right field. And other than that, it's not looking great. So they just have so much they need to do, and they use a bullpen. The, the one spot that's pretty set for them is the rotation. They could maybe add one arm, but if they leave the rotation alone, I think they'll be fine. But other than that, they, they need a bullpen, they need an outfield, and they need infield defense. So I don't know if Segura is at the top of their list of guys they would trade right now. He seems like one of the more sure bets on their team <laughs> because, you know, they have such big question marks in every other position, it seems like. It, it just depends. I think this one is very contingent from the Phillies' perspective on making other moves, on, on getting a free agent infielder, on finding some other way to address the outfield, that kind of thing. Um, because I think that probably is ahead of their priority list than the bullpen. And so maybe, maybe they would look into adding a guy like Kimbrell in a different way that doesn't cost them Segura. Maybe they just give up prospects or something like that. Uh, but then obviously it makes less sense for the White Sox. So I, I, I'm just not entirely sold on it making sense for them. And we can uh, use that to kind of jump on to uh, jump into your takes on the Phillies as a whole and how they're going to fix this mess. Yeah, I, I feel your pain there um, in a sense, because you're, you're, the, you're basically it's the pay Peter to pay Paul 
borrow from Peter to pay Paul kind of trade where you create a hole, you fill one hole, but you create another one. You now you have a second base hole. Okay, all right. So the overview of the Phillies is, you know, if you really take a step back, remember after their championship years in the late 2000s, and they sort of waited too long to, you know, rebuild. They had a bunch of guys on kind of who were expensive and past their prime. And so then they, so then they rebuilt and then the Philly fans thought, okay, we're finally coming back, but it didn't quite take, like it didn't quite have enough of a core, right? So then they started filling that core with Harper and Real Muto with expensive free agents, but you still have these sort of solid, I'm using that term, like big holes, right? You don't have a center fielder. You don't have um, like most of the good players on their team were, you know, acquired they were not developed. And and that is this sort of fundamental problem. Even that great pitching staff, the really, you know, it, it, Zach Wheeler is your ace. He was a Cy Young candidate. Um, you've got a strong, you know, Nolo, okay, you can say you developed him. Ranger Suarez came out of nowhere and, uh, and was amazing last year. So he's kind of, you know, penciled in as the number three starter. You traded for Kyle Gibson. So you have like one guy, maybe two, that you developed there in your pitching staff. Um, you developed uh, Reese Hoskins at first base. Okay. But other than that, there's really not much there that you can say that rebuild kind of worked. Mac, you know, Mickey Moniak is pretty much a bust at this point. You know, you don't really have a good farm. There's not like a whole lot of talent coming up either. So you've got some holes. You've filled them already with expensive free agents. Do you fill them more again with expensive, excuse me, expensive free agents? Or do you sacrifice more of your future by trading whatever prospects you have, Mick Abel, Bryson Stott, for example, for a Matt Chapman, to your point about um, defense, um, or, you know, a center fielder, if you can find one. There's a lot of questions here that are really kind of fundamental to roster building. And then you've got Dombrowski, who's not afraid to spend money. Um, but how much money can you really spend if you're really kind of you're building your whole team around expensive free agents? You know, like you didn't really have a core to begin with. So that is your fundamental problem. Right. And so now what do you do? OK. And meanwhile, another guy that you brought up, Alec Bohm, had kind of a sophomore slump year and you know, roster resources has him penciled in at third, but he's not really a third baseman, but he's blocked at first by Hoskins. Maybe if the DH presumably comes through to the National League, you know, you can put one of those guys in the DH role, hoping Bohm finds his bat again without having to worry about defense. So, okay, maybe, you, you, you know, you can pencil that in, but you've still got the center field slot. Didi Gregorius, to your point, had a terrible year at shortstop, so you really need an improvement there. Um, if you move Bohm to DH, you've got a third base hole. So you've got plenty of holes and, and you know, terrible defense. So you need a kind of good Chapman kind of guy there at third, um, you know, and not much of a bench. Uh, you do have, though, the clock is ticking on these expensive free agents, Harper and Rio Muto. There's only, they're in their prime and, you know, Wheeler's in his prime and Nola's in his prime. And so, like, you got to move now. So you've got some fundamental holes to fill. And oh, by the way, you still don't have a bullpen. <laughs> you know, uh, you signed Corey Knable, so that's good. And the rest is sort of cross your fingers and hope for the best. So a um, lot of holes to fill, not much of a farm to play with. Maybe you throw more money at it and, and band-aid it all. It's a real problem. The Phillies are just the angels. <laughs> I don't know why this has never struck me like this before. But, but they have some pitching, though. That's the thing. They have starting pitching. It seems like they have it figured out. And they, there's been some years where they haven't. But right now, they really have a strong rotation. They just have no idea how to build a bullpen. And it feels like it's flipped the other way for the Angels. They mm -hmm. 
they have some decent bullpen pieces every now and then. You know, Rysel Iglesias was a good find, and, and it seems like they have guys like that pop up every year. Uh, they just can never get the rotation together. Uh, it's, but but it's the same sort of like stars and scrubs. Like, look at these great players they have. They yeah. have Bryce Harper. He's fantastic. And Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. And look, Ranger Suarez, he broke out. And how could they be bad? And then they're stuck at 500 because nothing else of value <laughs> is happening right. on the baseball field for them. They just have so many other players that shouldn't be starting every day on the same field as these guys. Um yeah, it's... Kingery flopped, Moniak's mm-hmm. a flop, Hazley's a fourth outfielder. But, you know, the, the guys you were hoping to develop did not develop, and that's the fundamental problem. Exactly. They have a pretty significant hitting development issue, and there has been some changes this offseason in that regard on the coaching staff, and so we'll see there. But I, I think looking at it here, I, I think we're pretty likely to get the uh, NLDH and and to some people that's not a great thing to me I I'm very happy with that um and to the Phillies they should be really happy with that um I think they'd be best off letting Alec Bohm be a DH and going out and getting someone who can actually play third base and so I I think Matt Chapman makes all the sense in the world to them for them we'll, we'll get there a little bit later and I think they have some interesting names that could work out in the outfield that they might not be ready to give up on quite yet. Um, they got Adam Hazley, Mickey Moniak, you mentioned. There is some optimism within the fan base left on Moniak. He isn't hasn't turned 24 yet. So, I mean, he hasn't worked out. He's not going to be the superstar that, you know, he should have been being picked first overall. But they might still be able to get a little something out of him. There's a little bit of optimism there. Um, but, you know, there's the two of them. There's Matt Veerling, who came up and was good in a very small sample size as a rookie. They got some outfield prospects coming along the line, but none that are quite there yet. I mean, I mentioned Muziati in that last uh, trade we talked about. He's probably not quite there yet. Um, but they, they got some pieces there. They got a couple interesting depth bench types nick matten luke williams uh, who could also spot in the outfield so if they really wanted to and i'm I'm, this is all i'm going somewhere with this i promise (laughs) they have too many positions to be able to address them all externally and as you pointed out they can't just keep throwing money everywhere there's a limit here at some point so they're gonna have to make things work at some positions with what they already have in the organization so i think it makes some sense to let either bohm or hoskins transition into dh and the other one can play first base okay that's set harper real muto aren't going anywhere that's set and then they can make some of these guys into a feasible outfield platoon or or, you know figure it out throughout the season they can send guys down call them up play the hot hand whatever figure something out in one of the corner outfield spots so i think they really need a center fielder they really need to shore up the middle infield and they really need a third baseman and then obviously the bullpen. So I, I think they can, I think that's much more manageable than we kind of need to upgrade every position except for right field catcher and, and starting pitcher. I think they're going to have to deal with some of the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> some of the less attractive players, uh, some of the warts on some of these guys, I think they're going to have to deal with and, and try and work around, uh, and simplify it into a couple positions that they can upgrade. I'm a little bit disappointed they didn't do more before the lockout. I think they should have, and I, I hope they have all these moves in them. Um, on that note, let's let's get into the first one of these moves that I have them making. So, or not not that I have them making, that that our users have them making. Uh, so this first one's between the Cubs and the Phillies. 
submitted by user MF24, has the Phillies adding outfielder Ian Happ at $18.2 million in trade value in exchange for right-handed pitcher Andrew Painter at 10.3 and catching prospect Logan O'Hop at 8.5. And so Hap really is more of a corner outfield type for them. I mean, I guess they could try and stretch him in center, but that doesn't really solve the problem of defense if you're playing a guy who isn't a center fielder in center field. So uh, you'd be penciling him in to left field, it seems, and, and either acquiring a different center fielder or seeing if Moniak, Hazley, Veerling, whatever, whatever you end up going with there, if they can handle center field. Um, so maybe not a perfect fit from that perspective, but he's a good bat. He's a good switch hitter, and he's got a decent glove for a corner outfielder. So it, it's another solid piece to add to that team, and that's really what they need right now, solid all-around piece. The the one that hurts to part with is Andrew Painter. He's one of their betting, better pitching prospects, uh, but they do have a handful of guys there, so they could afford to move one of them. And then Logan O'Hop is probably their most obvious trade chip right now. Uh, they're pretty set at catcher for the long term. They have JT Realmuto locked up for the next few years. They just picked up Garrett Stubbs from the Astros, and he is, uh, I believe they had to, yeah, they had to add him to the 40-man. Um, he does have one option remaining, but he's got the inside track to being their backup catcher. Uh, and then they have a couple more guys, Rafael Marchand and Donnie Sands, who are both, you know, not top, top prospects, but they're reliable catching depth. They're both on the 40-man. And they both, you know, they'll be decent backups for uh, for uh, Real Muto if Stubbs doesn't work out or anything. So you don't need necessarily another solid catching prospect in Logan O'Hop. He's currently, by Fangraphs, ranked the sixth in their organization, uh, sixth best prospect in their organization. But don't need him. If you're going to make additions to the roster, he's the guy you're probably looking to flip. And, and the Cubs could maybe use him. They have Miguel Amaya as their kind of long-term catching option, but... You never feel too comfortable with just one, so it makes some sense for them. Um, to me, the two biggest holdups here are what Hap means for the Phillies. Does it mean they have to go get a center fielder, or are they comfortable running with Moniak, Hazley, Veerling out there? And number two is just what the Cubs are doing, because they signed Marcus Stroman. They don't appear to be continuing to sell pieces, it doesn't seem like. I mean, they, they might still move Wilson Contreras, but they're they're kind of treading water they're in a weird spot they're i don't know if they're going full on sale like it looked like they were when they traded rizzo bryant Baez last off their last trade deadline so i don't know if they're planning on trading hap it, it's a weird spot for them uh so those are my two hang-ups with this one but otherwise it, it seems to make some sense yeah it does make some sense I mean, the key to the deal is Ian Happ. He's a very divisive player, and he's hot and cold. He'll have some good years and some some hot stretches and some really cold stretches. And fans are really divided on him. And and even the projection systems are divided on him. Steamer has him at 2.6 war. He's coming into his age 27 year, uh, which is typically the peak year for position players. And, you know, he's a slightly above average bat. They have him at a projected to be a 113 WRC plus. He gets on base a fair amount can hit a few homers here and there. Uh, they project him for 31 homers. So that's a really good projection. Uh, Zips is a little bit less optimistic. They have him at 1.7 war, um, but still on base, still a 113 WC+. So he's a slightly above average player who is versatile. 
And, you know, the Cubs did play him a lot in center field. I'm not saying he was a great center fielder. And, I, you know, the, he's a bit of a Swiss Army knife. He's played some second, he's played some corner, but he played 56 games in center. So even though he may not scream center fielder to, to, to you or others, you know, he can handle it if you're if you're basing it on, on how much experience he has there anyway. Um, so it's not the worst option in the world. It's just, you know, it's not. You know, but then this in the marketplace, the center field options are not great. I'm telling you, um, and I'm sure we'll get to some other ones here, but he's not a bad option if you sort of take the optimistic class half full point of view. Above average hitter can play the position, not bad. And to your point, what they're giving up, you know, Ohap is expendable, and he had kind of a breakout year in the minors, so he he went from relative obscurity to a guy who's now like a 45 rated, you know, and he's, that's why you see him at eight in our values. Um, so so I think. You know, the return makes sense for the... By the way, the, uh, Miguel Amaya on the Cubs side is injured. Um, not to say he won't be a long-term solution, but for, for now, he's sort of backburnered. So they could use a guy. Contreras is only uh, under control for one more year, so they need to fill that spot. I believe they signed Jan Gomes before the lockout, so, but he's just a kind of one-year stopgap. Um, so anyway, they could use Ohop there on the Cubs side. Um, and... You know, Painter, sure, they could always use Painter. You know, he's a high school pitching prospect, so he's very far away and carries a lot of risk, which is why you only see him at 10. Even though a lot of people are high on him, he's a kid. And so a lot of, you know, the old expression, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, and that's because they get injured so much, especially the high school kids. So um, so there's a lot of risk there. You can't really bank on that. So you're giving up a hot and cold player. You're getting a breakout guy and a risky guy with some upside. So it's a fair deal. I can see it making sense for both sides. I think it's the only question of, like, does Hap make sense in center field for the Phillies? Yeah, uh, good catch on the Amaya point. I, I, I didn't see that. Um, but also a quick correction to something you said. It was actually a two-year deal for Jan Gomes. Oh, wow. uh, because because yeah, there were he's... literally no catchers on the market. And so <laughs> yeah, I wonder about that, him, but it's... yeah, yeah. He, but, you know, he's, what, 34, 35? You know, he's yeah. not going to last that much longer. <laughs> yeah, but at least theoretically the plan is for him to be the backup again next year, it seems mm -hmm. like, or, or you know, timeshare with one of their younger guys as Contreras leaves, something like that. Um, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, I think my hang-up with Hap, and, and here's a good transition, my hang-up with Hap is, as a center fielder, is just that I'm stuck in my mind comparing him to the guy that everybody has taking over center field for the Phillies. And uh, that'll be uh, acquired in this next deal we're going to talk about. Submitted by DKIM99, deal between the Rays and the Phillies, has the Phillies acquiring Kevin Kiermeyer at negative 2.8 million. And he's just a very popular pick for our users um, for having the Phillies acquire as, as a center fielder. Uh, he was a popular pick for me. I picked uh, a, a deal with the Phillies for Kiermeyer in my... Uh, in my roster revamp on the Rays. Uh, he just seems to check off all the boxes. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, so they're acquiring Kiermaier at negative 2.8. Also right-handed reliever Andrew Kittredge at 11.3. And I believe utility prospect, infield prospect, uh, somebody Mastruboni at 1.5. I'll pull up his first name. Mm -hmm. uh, in exchange, the Rays are receiving Alec Bohm at 15.9. So once again... We're talking about the Rays adding a right-handed bat. Um, the, the values here are not quite lined up. Uh, it's 15.9 headed to the Rays and 10 headed to the Phillies. So it seems like uh, this is more in the case of the Phillies are higher on Kiermaier than our numbers or 
the Rays and Phillies are lower on Bohm than our numbers would suggest, something like that. There's a there's a decent gap here. It's still accepted by the model, but there's a decent gap here. Um, and it depends on you know whether the Rays believe in Bohm. He hasn't hit the way he's he was supposed to. He's a bit like Vaughn in that regard, just a little bit less highly regarded as a prospect. Uh, but still highly regarded to to some extent, and he should have hit more than he has this uh, so far in his career. So he's the big question mark there. Um, I think it it makes sense, obviously, for the Rays to offload Kiermaier. We talked about that when we talked about the Rays, I believe, in the last episode. Um, he's just making too much money for them. They have too many other center field options, both in the short and long term. He's one of their most obvious trade candidates, and and for the Phillies, he makes sense. They can afford him. He's an immediate, one of the best center fielders defensively in baseball, uh, despite being on the wrong side of 30. He's still up there, and he's definitely the best one that's easily available right now, either in trade or signing. Um, so he immediately solves that problem for them. He's, he doesn't have a ton of a bat. It's like league average at best, but they can kind of handle that. Um, page finally loaded, by the way. It's Miles Mastrobuani. <laughs> I hadn't heard of him before. Uh, utility prospect and then and then Kitteridge obviously is a great ad for them as a reliever since they need so much bullpen help and and he feels like and this is a horrible thing to go off of here is just <laughs> just feeling but he feels like the type that the Rays would sell high on kind of you know wrong side of 30 um, I'm pulling up his numbers right now but if I remember they weren't entirely supported by the peripherals last season he had a very good season but yeah he had a 188 ERA and backed up by a 301 XERA, 304 FIP, 305 XFIP. So not bad by any means, but not quite, you know, they, they might feel that they can sell high on him now. And, and with just the the way that the Rays function, they have 100 relief arms behind him that are going to come up and post a 1.7 ERA or whatever. <laughs> it's just how the Rays work. So I don't think he's a huge loss for them, but I think he's a guy the Phillies would like to add. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, it's not the perfect deal. I think I like the one that I picked in my roster revamp uh, for the Phillies. I think I like that one a bit more. That one had Kiermaier and Yarbrough heading to the Rays for a lower-level left-handed pitching prospect. Or, excuse me, headed to the Phillies for a left-handed pitching prospect. I think I like that one a little bit better just because I don't know if the Rays are too into Bohm and, and, and there is such a large value gap between the two sides in this one. But it is... A little creative and i and i like the inclusion of kitteridge here yeah i mostly like this one as well so let's look at it from the Phillies side i think you know we've talked a bit about this in the past but kiermeyer makes all the sense in the world for the phillies as a destination he's uh he just seems like a dombrowski kind of guy right veteran leader you know we'll give it a give it his all you know if you're going for it if you're really trying to to win you know he's a winning kind of guy so and the fact that he costs money, which is why the Rays would trade him, you know, doesn't bother Dombrowski as much. So so you can see Kiermaier being a player there. And, you know, um, maybe they will value that defense over, you know, the middling offense at best. Um, the downside with Kiermaier is he's getting older. He's banged up. He just had double knee surgery. Um, he's never been a great hitter. He's your number nine hitter. And in you yourself, Josh, know that center fielders don't age well. So, you know, they tend to fall off a cliff at a certain point. So, like, when is he going to fall off that cliff? And not that he was on that, that high of a cliff to begin with, but, but you know, as he gets older in his 30s, you know, he can really see a decline 
as he starts to lose a step and because his defense is really holding up his value uh, what, what there is of it it's not so much his bat so there's a risk involved in in trading for him uh, i think kittridge makes all the sense in the world for the phillies um just to shore up their bullpen um his wpa by the way in 2021 was insane it was 249 it was a real breakout you know and we factored that a little bit in our model so that's another reason why he's high he was an all-star as well but the Rays, i agree would trade him because they do have more coming up behind him he is also out of options i believe um so you know and he's getting he's an older kind of pitcher so you know he's a guy that kind of no he has one option left sorry but nonetheless you know he's 31 one option left, you know, um, he's the kind of guy that they can easily get rid of uh, and sell high on. Um, I don't know that I'm totally convinced about Bohm for the Rays. I mean, yes, on the one hand, he's he fits their mode because he's still pre-arb, you know, he's got some upside and he's a right-handed bat who can play first. Um, but, you know, there's some shakiness there. Like, are you going to get the guy he was in 2020 or are you going to get the guy he was in 2021? So on the other hand, they're not giving up all that much. So on the whole, I like it. There's some risk on both sides. So I suppose that makes it more even. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with you. I, I just wonder essentially what you were saying, if, if the Rays are on bone. That, that's the yeah. biggest part for me. Yeah. Uh, just because I don't know how I feel <laughs> about Alec Bohm, and I don't think I don't know if the Phillies do. I don't know if anybody really does. It's uh, he's a very polarizing guy since the defensive profile is so limited and the offense has been so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There, there's a lot of risk on both sides, and maybe that evens out to the point where they're both comfortable with it. Um, probably want to pick up the pace a little bit. Stop me if you've heard that on this podcast (laughs) before. (laughs) Uh, This is the last deal with the Phillies, and it's from our good friend Grover. Uh, A's and Phillies has the Phillies acquiring Matt Chapman at 24.1 in exchange for left-hander Bailey Falter, 6.9, catching prospect Logan O'Hop at 8.5, and outfield prospect, uh, I believe it's Jose Rojas at 9.7. And I'm also pulling up his value just to make sure that that one hasn't shifted in any uh, recent updates uh, because this deal was from mid-January. So there's a very decent chance that that value has shifted. Um, uh, but this is uh, in Grover's comment on this deal. He said, I spent yesterday trying to figure out how to minimize the impact the Chapman trade would have on the Phillies farm system because they've said that they are putting more emphasis on developing homegrown talent. Today I have Dombrowski, Dombrowski reverting to type. Ohop looks like an ideal trade chip, as we discussed. Rojas has a high ceiling, and Oakland wants to add impact talent to their farm system. Falter was a starting pitcher in the minors before being placed in the Phillies' bullpen. A's would probably stretch him back out to be in the 2022 rotation. So that's a pretty <laughs> perfect explanation of the trade. I don't know how much more I have to add to that. Um, <clears throat> the A's have traditionally looked for quality in these types, or excuse me, <laughs> looked for quantity in these types of deals. Um, and, and just a quick update, his name is Johan Rojas, and his value is still at 9.7. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the A's like quantity. They like these kind of big league ready, looking like more of a back end types like Falter. So I think he's a good spot in there. Ohop, as we mentioned before, is just a very good trade chip for the Phillies right now. And you can look at it and say that maybe he doesn't make all the sense in the world for the A's. Uh, because they have Sean Murphy, who's very good and still young, still under team control at the big league level, and Tyler Soderstrom coming up the farm as their top guy. But I personally highly doubt that Soderstrom stays behind the plate. I, I don't think they should keep him back there. 
I think the bat is just so good and the, and the glove is so far behind that they'll get more out of him a lot quicker if they move him to first base, corner outfield, even even try him at third base. Uh, that's just my take, and I know a lot of A's fans hold a similar opinion. Uh, so O'Hop can slot in either as the catching replacement to Murphy down the line as a backup. There also has been a little bit of buzz that the A's could trade Murphy after the lockout. I, I don't know how much I buy into that, but if they do, obviously, there you go. <laughs> um, and then Rojas is just, as Grover explained, he's a big ceiling guy, and that's also another type. I mean, everybody likes big ceiling, but the A's have been willing to gamble on higher ceiling, lower minors types in some of their big deals. And so I think this fits kind of their mold. They get their near MLB ready guy. They get their guy who's another year or so off in, in OHOP and, and kind of exploiting a log jam on the other team. And then they get their real prize of the deal in Rojas. And then for the Phillies, obviously, it's it, it, it's the best third baseman, arguably the best defensive third baseman in the game indisputably the best one available at at this point uh, they're not going to go get arenado or anything um so chapman it, it leads to the question of what you think of his bat i'm a bit higher on his bat bouncing back to form uh than than even some of the projections are just because you know he was coming off a significant hip injury and it seemed to really impact his swing and how comfortable he was in the box uh, but even if he doesn't rebound entirely, you know, with his defense, a 100-110 WRC plus is very valuable at third base. And he instantly just changes the complexion of their infield. And you'll, you would immediately see his impact on pitchers like like Kyle Gibson, who's, who's back there for another year. I, I think he'd really benefit from having Chapman at third base instead of Alec Bohm or, or whomever else. So I really, really like this one. I think there's room for for uh for disagreement and and for disliking this one from the phillies perspective if you're not as high on chapman's bat and you're you're looking at a glove first guy for a couple of your top prospects uh but i i like it personally yeah i'm with you i like this one a lot i think a lot of our users have chapman going to the phillies and it's been talked about on other uh forums as well uh it makes all the sense in the world um you know with that strong pitching staff, they do do need a better defense behind them, particularly on the left side, as we've talked about. Um, interestingly, um, Aaron Nola, a lot of people think he had a down year last year, but that's just because they're looking at ERA. And ERA is very defense dependent. But if you look at his peripherals, they were just as good as they always were. And so that makes me wonder if the ERA would come down as well if he had a guy like Chapman at third, you know, picking it. Um, so I do think he would help their overall teams, obviously, uh, a, you know, good character guy, good leader guy as well. So it makes sense, all the sense in the world for the Phillies. And I also like the return for the A's. And as you pointed out, it kind of fits their MO. Um, Rojas being the sort of toolsy guy who has some ceiling they can dream on. O'Hop, kind of the breakout guy. I don't see as much of a problem with, even if Murphy sticks around for the A's, you know, you're going to need two catchers, you know, and O'Hop is probably the second of the two, but um, you know, you could see him having a, a future there, and especially if they're going into a rebuild, he'll get plenty of opportunity. And then Falter um, is a little bit sneaky. He's the kind of guy that they can kind of target with some upside. You know, he's not going to be an ace, um, but he's, you know, he's better than he looks on paper, I think is, is probably the, you know, and, and he, he got off to a good start for the Phillies. Now, the one thing is the Phillies could still use him either as a bullpen guy or as a swingman. But he would get more opportunity as a starter 
in a rebuilding Oakland rotation. So I think it would benefit him. So it's hard to pick a hole in this one. Grover's trades are, you know, usually, you know, he thinks about it from, from both sides point of view and he really tries to make it fair and make it more, make sense from a, you know, position and need standpoint and team standpoint as well. So it's hard to really pick, pick at this one. I think it makes sense, you know, from both team standpoint. The only thing I will add is Rojas has sort of been a bit up and down. Um, if you look at his stats, he was, you know, before he was promoted, um, he was a little bit under, I think 86 WRC plus, but then he really put it together after being promoted and, and just hit the ball phenomenally, albeit in a short sample size. So maybe those tools are starting to come together to actually produce, and maybe you, you, you can see somebody who's really got a bright future ahead. Yeah, just to be specific, he had an 86 WRC plus at low A. He's promoted to high A, despite that, where he hit uh, 344, 419, 563 for a 161. Granted, that was only in 17 games, so that's probably going to come down over a longer stretch. But nonetheless, it was a really nice improvement. So it gives you sort of hope that there's those tools are, are going to be meaningful as he climbs the ladder. So somebody to dream on from the Oakland side, because if they're going to give give up Chapman, you don't want just like role fillers like a WAP and Falter maybe. You want a guy you can dream on. So hopefully he's that kind of guy. So I think it makes sense from that point of view as well. Yeah, he's exactly their kind of boomer bust guy. He mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of, you know, Franklin Barreto, the centerpiece of the Donaldson deal, or Jesus Lazardo, or... Mm-hmm. Even a guy like Austin Beck that they drafted with the, or Kyler Murray <laughs> that they drafted in the hopes that they could be just superstar both sides of the ball impact up the middle player, and obviously none of those four guys have worked out the way Oakland wanted them to. But that doesn't mean they should stop going for upside because you know, in a way, going for upside gets you a Matt Olson and a Matt Chapman, and <laughs> they they need those especially if they're going to be trading the ones that they have. So I, I think he's a pretty perfect type of guy that they would be targeting now and you wonder if maybe some of the up and down and and he was injured to end the season last year you wonder if some of that has the Phillies souring on him a little bit and they can they can take advantage of that so I I think yeah I I really like him as a fit if there is a Chapman deal regardless of the other pieces I think he's one of the top pieces the A's would uh, target all right, I think we're done with the Phillies, unless you have anything else to add. Um, if not, why don't you... Uh, okay, let's go ahead and move on to the D-backs. So you probably know the D-backs better than I do, because you're based in Arizona and the Phoenix area. So um, I will say um, I'm going to get right to it. I'm not going to bury the lead. The big question for them is, do they trade Cattell Marte or not? And obviously they're a last-place team. They're... You know, the type of team that's been known to kind of sneak up on you and maybe go for it a little bit more than you think they would. Um, but let's face facts, they're in the same division as the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants. That's that's a lot to overcome. Um, and they do have a great farm. Um, so if they did want to make a, a trade and try to go for it, they have some holes to fill to major league level, but they have a lot of capital to play with at the minor league level. I don't think they would do that because I think they're the kind of organization that values their farm and will take the strategy of let's wait for that farm to mature. Guys like Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas and a bunch of good pitchers coming. So I think the only question is, what is their window? And so it's probably two-ish years away. And so Ketel Marte, you know, may not make a lot of sense to, to stick around unless you want to extend him again. Cattell Marte also has been injury prone a little bit. He's got some persistent hamstring injuries. He's got, uh, you know, um, they tried him at center, didn't really take. And so he's probably more of a second baseman. Um, great bat, you know, um, 
you know, a lot. He brings a lot to the table. But the question is, does he fit their window? So I think that's the that's really it's all about it's all about him. I'm going to pause there. You probably know more to, to about the system dad than I do. Yeah, it's been kind of rough for the D-backs. It's 2019 looked like they might be starting to like jump the gun a bit on on their rebuild. I had the standings pulled up right here. They finished 85 and 77 second in the West because that was before the Giants or the Padres were any good and that was, you know, back when the Rockies were just as mediocre as they've continued to be. And so that looked kind of like, you know, as you see from some of these teams, as we've seen from the White Sox a couple of years ago and the Padres, the next, it, it looks like, you know, oh, they're starting to take their first steps. They're starting to, this is it. They're almost ready. They're about to turn the corner and be that big team. And so they made some moves. I believe that was the off season when they signed uh, Madison Bumgarner, which, yeesh. Um, <laughs> and, and they made some moves and they didn't work out. Uh, 2020 was, yeah, that was the season that they signed Madison Bumgarner. Uh, 2020 was a disappointing year for them, but you think, okay, maybe you can write some of that off to the weird shortened season and whatever. And so there were some expectations on 2021 and it just completely fell under the rug. Like they were atrocious. They had, they had some like record settingly terrible stretches of like consecutive road losses. I think it was something like that. They're gonna have the first overall pick, I'm pretty sure, in uh, in the draft this year. It's either I think them and the Orioles they tied, but I think the D-backs got it for some reason. I I don't know the tiebreaker off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it, 2021 was was just a complete letdown, and there have been some pretty significant questions because they have such a talented farm. They've had plenty of talent coming up through the ranks, and a lot of it is getting to the big leagues, and there are just questions over whether the current player development staff can keep pitchers healthy and whether they can get big leaguers, big league hitters out of really productive minor league hitters. There's been kind of a gap there. Um, and you started to see a couple guys turn the corner, you know, Paven Smith, Dalton Varsho, Josh Rojas, they all looked good last year. And, and those are decent starters, if not role players down the line. Uh, but there, there's just a gap here still. And with how competitive the rest of the NL West is, they're not going to be pushing any chips in for 2022. You're right to say that 2023 is probably the first year of their window opening. It's just hard to get a real sense for how much they believe that and and where the talent is going to come from. And they're, they're in a weird spot. <laughs> I know that's kind of a cop-out, and it's kind of something I said with the Phillies as well, but... They're in a weird in-between spot where you look up and down the roster and you don't see... It doesn't look like a team that needs to start another rebuild, but they also don't have any obvious candidates that are going to, you know, help them too much if they trade them other than Marte. And it doesn't look like they should be three years away from competing, so maybe there's an argument for keeping Marte, but the injuries, but he's so affordable, and you just go back and forth on it a lot. And so (laughs) I don't think they do trade Cattell Marte that that's not saying whether they should or shouldn't I just don't think they do the the buzz that you get from here from the organization from the I mean from the fan base doesn't matter as much but from the organization the buzz that you get is that just it's not something they've entertained too seriously to this point and I think part of that is because they want to still value him 
as the guy he was and the guy he could be. Of He's only 28, and he's this really solid switch hitter on an affordable contract with positional versatility and all of that. But then you look at it, and he's so injury-prone. He's not really a center fielder. And so we talked about it on a previous episode how he's interesting to, you know, the Marlins or the Yankees, but that's only if they really view him as a center fielder. And I don't know how many teams are willing to make that jump on him given he doesn't have the strongest arm and he keeps pulling his hamstring. And that's not good (laughs) if you're running around the deepest part of the outfield every day. So I just don't think they will get an offer, at least at this stage. I don't think they'll get an offer that both, um, that both meets their own internal perceptions of how good he is and how good he should be and how highly he should be valued. I don't think they'll get an offer that meets that. Plus it'll have to like kind of convince them to maybe kick the can down the road another year because part, if they are going to return to contention in 2023 or even you could even argue if they're going to, if they're going to be competitive with the Dodgers Padres giants in 2024, even they kind of need Marte to be a stud like like that's that's the easiest way for them to start getting down that path is he's healthy and he's good and then they can build around him Uh, but it seems like trading him would be kind of a concession that's no we got to kind of reevaluate things and and push it down the road yeah I think it's interesting also that they signed uh, Mark Melanson uh, to be their closer out of the bullpen. I mean, my take on that is that is a typical move of like, okay, if we're competitive, great. If we're not, you know, he's a deadline chip because bullpen guys always are. Melanson himself has been traded a few times at the deadline. So, you know, that's probably all that was. But they also have a couple of older veterans as well who could be in demand from from other teams you know nick ahmed maybe there's been some chatter about him going to the yankees but he's got a terrible bat coming off a bad season and you know still got a great glove but that's really all you know um and he's overpaid so which is why his value is negative similarly david peralta also has negative value um kind of a declining veteran type uh can still hit a little bit in spots but uh you know left field only he's probably a bench guy in a contention team so you're not going to get much for these guys. In fact, they're both underwater. So, but but nonetheless, you probably have to move them to see what you can get. So those might just be minor moves. And and even if you move Melanson, I mean, look, he'll be 37, you know, at the deadline. You're probably not get much for him either. So, you're not going to get any meaningful trade return from any of these veteran guys. But you probably want to move them at some point if you get an offer. Yeah, I think. Um... And this might run counter to, <laughs> to you know, the whole action speak out, speak louder than words. Obviously, the D-backs, they traded Paul Goldschmidt. They traded um, Zach Greinke. They let A.J. Pollock walk. They've, they've, they've made some decisions that haven't been, uh, let's say, haven't been supported by the fan base, that haven't been done with the, the fan base's best interests in mind. Um but I think the difference there with those is they got a pretty solid return for both Goldschmidt and Granke. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, maybe Pollock wasn't the best investment. He was also pretty injury prone. And, and so what I'm trying to say here is I think there are very solid reasons that they did trade those guys and that they could at least point to, to the fan base. But at this point with so many, with so few recognizable names left, especially if they are considering moving Marte. I think 
Peralta is the one they hang on to. And, and by hang on to, I don't mean they're going to offer him some extension or anything. Cause unless he really rebounds next year, I don't think they should. But he's a really good story. You know, he was a came up as a pitcher, didn't work out, went to independent ball, came back as an outfielder, and and really made an impact from day one with the team. So he's a great story. I think they just let him ride out his contract. They're not going to get anything for him in a trade. If if they were, they would have traded him by now, I think. But I think he's one where they kind of hang on to him and just let him ride that out, be kind of the, the familiar face on the team. And I could see the argument, though, for trading Ahmed. He's owed more money, more years. Um, I know one popular destination for him has been the Angels, and I could get behind that for sure. They could use some sort of stability at shortstop, even if the bat isn't great. They, they've been okay with that historically of going glove over bat at, at shortstop. Um, so I think he, if they can find another team and, and line up on the money side of it, Ahmed is very a very realistic candidate to be traded, but I don't think Peralta makes quite as much sense. Um, that being said, I just have three deals pulled up for the D-backs. And this first one we can go through pretty quickly. It's it's the most complicated of the three, uh, but it's kind of just a, a bit of a case study, I guess you could call it for me. It's more of an example of a deal that I don't think really works. And so this is from user Heat Dreamer. It's a three-team deal between the Blue Jays, D-backs, and Marlins. In it, the Blue Jays acquired Dylan Floro, 4.6, uh, from the Marlins. Pablo Lopez, started starting pitcher, 57.1, from the Marlins. And Ketel Marte, uh, second baseman, 37.3, from the D-backs. D-backs, on the other hand, in exchange for Marte, uh, they are acquiring Cabin Biggio at 12, Jordan Groshans infielder at 19 infield prospect at 19.8 and Nate Pearson right-handed pitcher at 9.5 and the Marlins in exchange for Floro and Lopez they're acquiring Lourdes Gurriel Jr. outfielder at 14.5 uh, Alejandro Kirk catcher at 15.8 and Orelvis Martinez shortstop at 33.7 so this is really it's a three-team deal but it's another one of those that's actually just two separate trades two separate two-team deals I don't, I just want to like look a little bit more closely at the D-back side of this because, you know, from the Marlins perspective, I don't think it's great. Gurriel is a corner outfielder and they really, their priority is a center fielder right now. Uh, they just got Jacob Stallings. So, I mean, Alejandro Kirk, he's a long-term catching option, kind of, but he's also not really a catcher. He's more of a DH than anything else. So I don't think he's super appealing to them. Um, and then Martinez is a guy that, I don't think the Blue Jays want to trade, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if that works from their perspective. The Blue Jays' perspective, sure, it's great. You're moving a lot of not incredible pieces other than Martinez. You're moving kind of some of your surplus and adding a really good starting pitcher in Lopez, a decent reliever, and Cattell Marte. But then again, are they playing Marte at second base? I, I guess if they're trading Biggio, but this this trade is also probably designed with. Uh, him playing some outfield in mind and we discussed why we don't love that so don't love it for them either uh, but the d-back side of this is kind of just here as an example for why i don't love them trading Cattell Marte right now because this is a very reasonable return for him uh this is actually a slight overpay that we have Marte at uh, 37.3 and they're getting 41.3 in this deal um, actually, this deal is from a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to double check on Groshans. But yeah, Groshans uh, went down in the interim. Okay, so so it's likely 
closer now and it's it, it's probably even or a slight uh underpay actually now i i knew he went down just wasn't sure how much i'm pulling that up right now uh but yeah 14 yeah yeah so you look at this deal though and it just doesn't make too much sense because a they're getting two guys who are in the big leagues now and have already spent a year or two of control each and that's biggio and pearson and i mean pearson is an attractive option for them i'm sure because they could really use some high upside pitching but I mean, Biggio, that is he really all that different? Maybe a little bit more pedigree, but is he all that different from a guy like Josh Rojas, who the D-backs have and really like? And they're pretty deep on infield prospects as well. They got Veraldo Perdomo uh, making his way through the system. Uh, Davison De Los Santos, we've discussed before. He's probably more of a first base type. He's a little farther off. But A.J. Vukovic at third base. Uh, Blaze Alexander's working his way through. Jordan Lawler they just drafted. Uh, they have a whole lot of names. They have such a deep farm that... Th- that's kind of the point I'm getting to here, is that they have such a deep farm that the two or three guys that they would add for Marte doesn't change the picture too much for them, in my opinion. It's still just a, a case of we got to develop these guys, wait for them to get to the big leagues, and and see what happens at that level. I don't think there's any long-term hole they can necessarily fit uh, fix uh, fill excuse me <laughs> uh by trading Catal Marte and and feel free to disagree I'm not a D-backs fan but maybe because I'm closer to the <laughs> to their fan but I have friends who are D-backs fans and because I'm closer to them from that perspective maybe it's I have some sort of blinders on and it's harder for me to see the appeal here uh so so definitely do correct me if if, if you think I'm wrong uh but I just don't see it they got so much talent already and they they're not in the stage where they necessarily need more talent right now unless you just don't believe in a lot of the guys they have uh so i don't and this is just a framework i mean there, there might be another permutation of a Catal Marte deal that makes more sense in my opinion but in general i just don't entirely see it yeah i don't see this one either um I, not even focusing on the Marlins and Blue Jays sides of it, because I don't see it from those points of view either. Maybe a little bit from the Blue Jays side inquiring it, but I'm not sure from the Marlins side. But D-back side, yeah. I mean, look, they've got such a strong farm, you know, really one of the best in baseball. And they've already got a couple of young impact players who are developing, you know, that you could say they don't, if you like project their 24-25 roster, you might say, no, where are the holes? Like maybe they need a shortstop prospect because Ahmed's about to, you know, He's he's almost done, <clears throat> and they don't really. Lawler's a shortstop, but you know he's years away, you know. So I'm not sure if they have like an immediate you know replacement for Ahmed there. So maybe you can, you know, um, you know if you're going to trade Marte at some point, then you need a second baseman. So like okay, so middle infield maybe. So that's maybe what you want, uh, but one that's probably along the same lines in terms of the timeline as Carol and Thomas and your other prospects. So maybe a guy who's in double A-ish or so. Um, you know, I, but other than that, I mean, you know, now granted, not all your prospects are going to pan out. You know, if even half of your top prospects pan out, you know, they've got six that are in double digits right now in our model as well. So if only three of those guys, let's say it's Corbin, Carol, Thomas, and I don't know, Blake Walston, let's pick a, pick a pitcher. So you're still going to need another pitcher. You're going to need a shortstop. Um, you know, you can you can start to kind of cherry pick a little bit. That's one of the benefits of having a strong farm, you know, is you can kind of say, all right, what do we need? Um, 
so but i don't think this trade does that i don't think it fills those needs i just want to quickly like to, to illustrate this uh just just looking down the depth charts here um roster resource fan graphs depth charts um so so at catcher in the longer term they have carson kelly at the big league level who's not a superstar but he's their starter right now uh, Dalton Varsho, they've been using him all over the diamond. They like him, and Jose Herrera is a decent piece. They don't have much beyond that, but okay, so maybe catcher, they they could use a long-term answer. But I mean, first base, they have Davison De Los Santos, who is a quick riser and likely to move off of third base to first base. Uh, second base, third base, yeah, they don't have as much, so I, I think that's a good position that you identified there. They are, if they're weak anywhere long-term, it's, it's in infield prospects. Shortstop, Geraldo Perdomo, I think, is that guy that you're looking for, that they want to be able to step in and replace Ahmed okay, um, yeah. kind of in the interim. And, and yeah. maybe longer term, he could end up as more of a utility type. The 2021 season wasn't his strongest. Um, uh, yeah, he, he didn't play too much at the upper levels, and he got the bulk of his playing time at AA 97 WRC+. Uh, so maybe he's not quite the top guy that he used to be. He was ranked 75th on Fangraph's 2021 prospect list. Uh, they haven't, I believe he's un, uh, they haven't updated the page to reflect for the 2022 list, I guess. Um, have they, uh, sorry, have they released the 2022 top prospect list? The, the, the MLB wide one? Did I? Uh, Fangraph's is not. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Pipeline is not. I know the, the other big players, Baseball America has, yeah. he has, yeah. uh, even Keith Law has. Um, so those guys are, the other ones are a little farther behind. Yeah, um, so so I'd guess that Perdomo maybe falls off of that list or, or drops down from 75 at the very least to, because 2021 wasn't too kind to him, but I think he's still in their long-term plans um, and at least holding down the fort for Lawler, who's the big one there. Yeah, um, Perdomo was still, um, he dropped down to number 90 on the BA, or 89 on the BA list, so okay. he's dropped a bit, but he's still, you mm-hmm. know, they haven't totally given up on him yet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then there's a few more org-type names within there that, that are at least a little interesting. Uh, and then they're loaded in outfield prospects. We, you mentioned Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll. There's Christian Robinson, who's a bit more of a question mark. He had some mm-hmm. off-field issues, and we, we don't know what to ex- when to expect him back or what to expect when he returns. But mm-hmm. there's a couple other names that are interesting in their outfield. And then their pitching prospects, they're kind of loaded. Yeah. Um, their, their fifth best prospect is Ryan Nelson, who's projected in AAA. Seventh, eighth, tenth, and eleventh are all projected in AA. Brandon Fat, uh, Dre Jamison, Slade Ciccone, and Bryce Jarvis. Their sixth is in high A, Blake Walston. And they just have... They just have pitching prospects up and down, yeah. <laughs> up and down. You, you see the blue highlighted column for being a ranked prospect in 2022. And so really their focus right now is just getting those guys to the big leagues. And you, you could even argue that it's a little too crowded to add too much to that. Cause then there's only so many minor league innings to go around. I don't know. That's not the strongest argument, but my point that I've probably made more than enough at this point <laughs> is I don't think there's too much to gain for them in trading Marte for a couple of prospects in this range. Um, Unless they're looking for infielders, which you did correctly identify as like their one weak spot Mm long-term. But uh, I I still like them better to find those solutions elsewhere than to trade Marte, especially, you know, maybe he is one of the solutions. If if he's, he's under control for a few more years, just let him, 
take second base. Okay. All right. Uh, we will go through these next two. They're a little bit more simple than that one. Uh, D-backs Mariners from user CBRGWU. Uh, the Mariners acquire Merrill Kelly at 5.5, starting pitcher. In exchange for three prospects, uh, it's second baseman Caden Polkovich at 1.6 million, uh, Connor Phillips, right-handed pitcher at 2.6 million, and Taylor Dollard, right-handed pitcher at 1.1 million. So those uh, actually appear to have... Okay, Caden Polkovich went down a tiny bit um, since this deal was proposed, but there was already a little bit of a gap anyway. It's still still within margin of error, still accepted. Um, so those three prospects, a couple pitchers and a second baseman, heading to the D-backs for Merrill Kelly. Uh, it's just one year of Kelly. I, If there is a veteran that that I really have them as being likely to trade, it's him. He is on a one-year deal. He's a little bit older. As I mentioned, they certainly have no delusions of contending this year. Um, so they don't need him. He's a pretty cromulent back-end arm, and that's kind of what the uh, the Mariners need to to replace some of the innings they lose by uh, Tyler Anderson heading to free agency. So he's just a reliable back-end arm. He doesn't cost them much. He doesn't move any mountains here. But uh, if if the Mariners aren't looking to shoot a little higher, you know, if they're not going to be trading for a Manaya or a Bassett, I like this move to kind of round out the rotation and add a little stability. Yeah, I mean, the one area that I didn't really touch on um, is the D-backs bullpen. Um, I found it interesting in that a recent, um, in a recent fan graphs chat, Kevin Goldstein was asked about pitching prospects. I forget what the exact question was, but he basically made the point that, yeah, uh, most of them actually turn into relievers. That's <laughs> what he was saying. He used to work for the Astros. Um, so he has some credibility there. And so, you know, here's three pitchers. One or two of them will probably be relievers. And maybe one of them is a good reliever. So you're just sort of throwing against the wall from the D-backs point of view, because you could probably use more relief help. I, that bullpen has been pretty bad. Um, and, you know, you're not going to get much from Merrill Kelly. You know, he's on a contract. He's got a little bit of surplus. But, you know, this is probably the type of return you're going to get. I think it make a, makes a lot of sense for the Mariners. Um, by the way, you also they also declined the uh, option on Yusei Kikuchi. So they've got a rotation spot to fill there. Um, you know, they signed Robbie Ray to kind of anchor the rotation from the front end, so young award winner. So they've got some holes to fill according to the back. They do have some pitching prospects coming up who are very talented, but they probably could use a kind of a stopgap guy like Kelly. So especially if they want to contend this year. So I think it makes sense for the Mariners. And, you know, hopefully one of the three one of these guys sticks in a bullpen kind of way, at least as a middle reliever for the Mar for the D backs. So you know, it's not the sexiest trade in the world, but it kind of makes sense. Polkovich is actually a second baseman, uh, but the other two, ah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, utility guy, um, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny that you mentioned that with the D-backs specifically, the whole moving to the bullpen thing, because they have three of those guys in their roster resource projected bullpen uh, who are very recently at least somewhat notable pitching prospects for major league pitchers. Caleb Smith, uh, Taylor Widener, and J.B. Bukoskis. Mm-hmm. Um, Bukaskis, the biggest name of those three from a prospect mm. standpoint, and there was always some relief risk there, and now they're kind of shifting him toward that after a pretty rough 2021 season. Yeah, he's um, also been been you know very uh, injury prone, so yep. I think they probably are concerned about his durability going forward. So that makes mm-hmm. sense too. One other name I absolutely have to mention here, if we're talking about D-backs pitchers, uh, the other day they signed Dan Straley to a minor league deal. Uh, from the, the KBO, where he was excellent in 2020. He had a 250 ERA. 
and still pretty solid in 2021. A bit of a step back, but still solid. Uh, 402 ERA, 359 FIP. Um, so it's unclear whether he's going to immediately slot into the rotation or the bullpen or start in the minors or whatever, but uh, he's an interesting high upside, uh, not high upside, low risk. That's what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> low risk uh, uh, pickup. And, and reportedly he had 15 teams interested in him and he picked the D-backs because there's a very clear avenue to playing time there. You know, if you yeah. have a pulse and a, and a functioning arm, you're going to make that pitching staff. So I, I, I like that move a lot for them and, and a lot for him as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's right, no great chicks at this point, but it'll at least fill, you know, fill some innings for you and, you know, maybe exactly. trade chip at the deadline. Yeah, exactly. All right. One more D-backs trade. I want to get to one more team still, so <laughs> I don't want to spend too long on this one, especially because it's admittedly out there. I don't think I like it, but it, it looked fun. So <laughs> from user Travis0548, Angels D-backs, Angels acquire Madison Bumgarner at negative 35.9 and $18 million cash. D-backs acquire Justin Upton at negative 25.9 million and right-handed pitcher Griffin Canning at 2.9. Um, it, this isn't happening. Let me, <laughs> let me be clear. <laughs> but it's fun. Point. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's fun to, you know, the, if, if the angels were to take on a bad contract, it would be a pitcher because that's what they need. Mm-hmm. And if they were to take on a bad contract, they would be sending Justin Upton back because they have no real need for him. He's passed way past his prime, way overpaid or underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that makes sense. And if they're going to send Justin Upton somewhere, why not send him back where he started his career? I think that would be kind of fun. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the D-backs pick up a moderately interesting young pitcher for their troubles here in Canning. And they get out from a good chunk of Bumgarner's salary the next two years. So I see this is like a dream come true type deal for the D-backs. They would love to shift a lot of Bumgarner's money uh, toward 2022, getting it off the books now, and so they'll have more flexibility down the road. Don't think it's going to happen just because Bumgarner's been so bad. I don't see a whole lot of appeal here for the Angels, um, but it, it surprisingly is four thumbs up for them to two thumbs up down. So uh, I guess somebody likes it for the Angels. I, I don't. Um, yeah. I guess the argument here uh, from, from Travis, who submitted it, is... Uh, Bumgarner has been hurt by a bad home run to fly ball rate since joining the D-backs and a friendlier park would help toward getting him back to a mid-rotation innings eater, which is what the Angels need. I guess I could see that maybe. I still think it's it's potentially a little too expensive for them because we have his salary 55.7 for the next three years. They're getting $18 million in cash. I'd, I'd assume it would be spread across the three years in some some way probably more toward the latter two years um, since they're also swapping a year of Upton in this um, but that's still a pretty sizable contract for Bumgarner that's what like 337 if my mental math is correct yeah that sounds right three years 37 for Bumgarner I think is still a lot more than <laughs> anyone would want to pay him and I think more than he'll be worth um, even even accounting for the new ballpark. So don't think this one's perfect. Don't think the Angels want Bumgarner, but it's fun to think about, right? Yeah. So first thought, so a lot of these um, types of underwater deals are 
structured in this way where you got a guy with three years left for a guy who's one year left. So you take the one year hit, but then you get out of it in years two and three, if you're looking at it from the Diamondbacks point of view. And then you soften the blow from the Angels by kicking in some cash so it's not quite as bad. And so, you know, I can think of a numerous deals. The Dodgers have made some in the past where they're moving money around like this. And luxury tax concerns sometimes play into it as well, although that's probably not the case here. But, you know, the the interest in it from the Arizona point of view is, okay, they take a hit with Upton's contract in 2022, but then they're free and clear after that because they got rid of Bob Garner, save for a few extra bucks they're paying. Um, and they get a little bit of a upside pitcher in Canning who they maybe can fix, who's had a lot of injury problems. Um, one other sort of hold up here is Upton has a no trade contract, uh, no trade clause in his contract. So it's probably not happening from that point of view. And he probably doesn't want to go to a last place team if he thinks the Angels are going to contend, given, a, you know, Otani and Trout and, you know, they're still trying to make noise and try to contend. So maybe he wants to contribute as kind of a veteran, even if it's off the bench kind of guy. So that's probably going to kill the trade right there. But let's just say that that wasn't an issue. Uh, otherwise, it's kind of fun to think about. I mean, the other point I will make is that, you know, fans still think about Bumgarner as if it's still 2014. Folks, that was 80 years ago. <laughs> He's not the same pitcher mm. as, as you might have saw back then. Um, he was amazing in his younger days, but my gosh, he's nowhere near that anymore. He's he's now past, you know, he's 31, 32 years old now, and he just hasn't seems lost, lost a lot of velocity. He just doesn't have the same effectiveness as he, as he did back then. Arizona knows they overpaid for him. Um, so I think they'd be happy to find a taker for him. Um, this is probably not the, the deal, but I'm sure if they could find a, a deal for him, they would be certainly willing to listen because I think that would uh, improve their flexibility in other areas. So it's fun to think about. Uh, looking at this again, actually, uh, I, I think I was making the mistake of not thinking of Bumgarner as if it was still 2014, but thinking of him as if it was still 2020, because he was atrocious in 2020, and he was just kind of bad last year. So that's a that's an improvement. Now, I don't anticipate him getting any better from here. That was his age 31 season, and as you mentioned, he lost velocity. He got a little bit of it back in 2021, but still not peak Bumgarner levels. Uh, his fastball is 88.3 in 2020, 90.5 in 2021. And as a result, he jumped up to a 467 ERA, which, yeah, 436 XERA, maybe a little bit better. Maybe you see a little something there. I don't know, uh, but but good point on the no trade clause for Upton. You can maybe convince him to go to someone with a chance if they're gonna if if you say, hey, we're either gonna cut you or you're gonna just be on the bench. Uh, you know, pinch hitting against lefties—that's all you're gonna do on our team. Uh, so you should accept this trade where they're going to give you full playing time. I think it being a place he's been before that would welcome him back in Arizona is enticing a little bit, but it's going to be a last place team. Most likely. I don't think he's looking for that right now in his career. So yeah, I, I agree that, that, that no trade clause probably kills it out the gate. Yeah. I mean, he's probably thinking is a little bit like pool holes when he went to the Dodgers. Like, mm -hmm. Just he's, I'll be on the bench. I'll help. We'll go to the playoffs. I'll make a, I'll pinch hit. What, you know, like he'd rather do that than play on a last place team. I think. And especially if we get the universal DH, I think there might be a role for him in that kind of spot. He's I, I'm looking up his splits right now, but he's always hit lefties pretty well. Mm. Um, I wonder if, yeah, yeah, he had 130 WRC plus against lefties last year. There you and go. So that's he's clearly, you know, he's earning 25 million or whatever it is. That that's the most expensive short side platoon player in the game. <laughs> but that's also what Pujols was, and he landed somewhere where he could, where the yeah. team maximized uh, 
his value. And so maybe you could see something similar with Upton. Yeah. All right, let's shift to the Giants. I I bungled this one on the timing yet again, <laughs> but I really want to get to these guys because I feel bad. I feel like it's some sort of little inherent bias that has <laughs> kept them out of our minds as as A's fans or something. I don't know, um, but but I think they deserve to be talked about because they also have some holes to fill, and they were one of uh, based on pure wins, one of the best teams in baseball last year. And and if they want to repeat that, they got a lot of work to do. Uh, so. Uh, do you want to just give him a super quick profile preview? Yeah. Well, I mean, they what the heck happened to the Giants last year, people? I mean, they were amazing. They came out of nowhere. No one expected them to. Was it just Farhan Zaidi's magic? Um, was it the, you know, the off year from 2020? Maybe because of, you know, their very old roster. I'm saying that nicely. Maybe they needed to kind of catch their breath and then they really went for it again in 2021. You saw that with Buster Posey, but you also saw in his press conference how how much of a toll that took on his body. And so you wonder if the other guys are also sort of like playing through injuries or sort of on their last legs as well. Guys like Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt and Evan Longoria, you know, so they, they're still kind of hanging on for dear life. And then you've got to have, you had sort of a patchwork starting rotation you know, obviously Logan Webb broke out in a huge way, became almost unhittable down the stretch. But you sort of like, you know, patched it with Discofani and Alex Wood, who they brought back again. They signed Alex Cobb. They could probably use another starter, you know. So they're sort of, you know, the long-term stretch is, strategy is they've got a farm. They've got some interesting prospects on the farm who they're waiting, but they're still kind of a couple years away. And so they're, they're sort of just sort of um, retooling on the fly, you know, using getting whatever value they can out of those veterans and adding, you know, bits and pieces here and there and really maximizing. They're they're amazing at like new school thinking using analytics, you know, and, and making sure that the lineup construction is right and the pitch plan is right. And they're sort of like getting every ounce of kind of smart baseball strategy per game to get those, to eke out those wins. And that's what they're doing. And they're doing it with older veterans who, you know, God love them, are still hanging in there. So, um, but, you know, holes-wise, I think the biggest one is catcher uh, to replace Buster Posey. Um, they're hoping that Joey Bart is the guy, but he hasn't quite established himself yet. Other than that, you're looking at Kirk Casale as a backup. So the question is, is Joey Bart the guy? If not, then you got a big hole to fill. Um, you've got probably a need for another outfielder. You've still got Mike Yastrzemski, who's been a nice story. But, you know, Lamont Wade's probably not an everyday left fielder. He's probably more of a platoon bench guy, so you got a hole to fill there. Um, you know, Stephen Duggar's your center fielder. You know, not a superstar either, barely a, a regular sort of guy. So you got a couple of holes to fill on the lineup side, and you need another pitcher. Um, you do have a really strong bullpen. The emergence of Camilo Duvall was amazing. Jake McGee has been strong. Tyler Rogers with his deception and his... You know, under underhand delivery has been amazing. So you've got a great bullpen. You've got a strong enough rotation if the magic can work again with guys like Wood and Descafani. And maybe, you know, a Genio Bottle and Alex Cobb as well. So, you know, you're holding on there. Um, but you probably use another veteran arm, a catcher, an outfield bat. And I probably should address second base as well because Tom Lestella has been injured so much. So you probably got like four or five holes to fill if you want to be another first place team. Yeah, I'm 
just gonna throw it out there. They're, they're, I don't think they're gonna be a first place team again, <laughs> at least not this year. <laughs> I mean, the Dodgers took a step back too, but the Padres are gonna be pushing back, and it's gonna be competitive with those three teams. And without Posey, and I mean, I, I will fully acknowledge that if you raised the idea of them being a hundred plus win team to me at this time last year, I would have laughed you out of the room and said, there's literally no way. Uh, but it turns out there was a way and it's called uh, Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford and Brandon <laughs> belt all hit like their 90th percentile projections, 95th at the same time. And Kevin Gosman's great. And Logan Webb breaks out and so on and so forth. So like acknowledge they could do it again. They could, shock the world again it, it, of course there's a possibility there but i think the best money is on them settling back down 80 to 90 win range as they wait for some of those bigger prospects the marco lucianos they, mm-hmm. they develop joey bart um helio ramos those guys mm-hmm. um so let's start with uh but but i, I still do think there is uh, reason to to try <laughs> in 2022 see what they can do with some of these veterans and reason to continue uh, making some deals for that'll help both the short and long term. So, first one, quick and simple, and it makes a lot of sense to me. One for one from Cole Mitch 22 it has the Giants acquiring Reese McGuire, catcher from the Blue Jays, in exchange for Steven Duggar, outfielder. So we have McGuire at 4.6, Duggar at 4.8, very even there. The Giants have a glut of left-handed outfielders, left-handed hitting outfielders, and so if they're going to move from somebody, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, McGuire is a left-handed hitting catcher and you know you could see not a strict platoon but some version of a platoon between him and Bart you know to kind of take some of the load off of Bart because it's big big shoes to fill big cleats to fill (laughs) uh, back there Um, so I like him as a fit and and the Blue Jays have plenty of catchers they they can afford to move McGuire and the Blue Jays could use a left-handed hitting outfielder someone who can play center field who can help take some of the workload off of uh off of George Springer and with all the time he missed last year um, and how tough the turf seems like it's been on him. Uh, so I, I think this is just a pretty clean fit on both ends. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Grishuk has been disappointing as mostly the center fielder in, in Toronto as well. So this would help a little bit there too. Um, yeah, I think it makes sense. A lot, you know, they have a surplus of catching in Toronto and he's McGuire has been kind of sneaky good at times. He's very inconsistent, but when he's good, he's, he's like, Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so I can see him being at least a, pl- a platoon guy that makes all the sense in the world. And he, you know, I wouldn't say he's so much of a veteran that he's like, you know, like a Buster Posey kind of veteran, but, but at least he's been around the block a couple of times. And so Bart, who's still getting his feet wet, can at least kind of, he can steer him a little bit, you know, so hey, you can see it. And plus he's the, McGuire is being a lefty, he's going to be the, the strong side of the platoon, which gives Bart a little bit more sort of freedom to relax a little bit. Say, okay, I'm not going to play every day. I'm going to play like a third of the games until I get going, you know, so I think it makes sense from that point of view as well. I think that might be my favorite trade we've discussed today. It's just, I, I love it when it's just so clean and simple and, yeah. and seems so realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, now let's move on to Giants and Rays. This is from user MP2891, a very active user, a Rays fan, and he's really been banging the drum for uh, you know, the Rays' right-handed bat acquisition, and, and one of his favorites is Darren Ruff from the Giants. So this deal has the Rays adding Darren Ruff at 1.1, as well as right-handed pitching prospect Ryan Murphy at 4.4. In exchange, the Giants receive left-handed pitcher Josh Fleming at $6 million. And so Fleming is... A swingman type left-handed pitcher doesn't miss too many bats, uh, but can pitch in relief, can be a fifth starter. 
a decent depth piece to have, especially if you're a team <laughs> like the Giants who's depending on Alex Wood and, and Alex Cobb hasn't been the healthiest in his career either. And so it doesn't seem like a bad idea to have a depth piece like Fleming at the ready. Um, I, I think the holdup here is whether the Giants want to trade Ruff. As I mentioned, they have a lot of left-handed hitting outfielders and Ruff isn't really an outfielder, but he at least at least gives them a right-handed hitting uh, platoon option, pinch hitter, DH type, if that comes. Um, so he, he might be just too valuable of an offensive piece for them uh, to really consider moving. Uh, but it obviously makes sense for the Rays. And uh, I, I think a guy like Fleming uh, would be a good acquisition for the Giants, an optionable guy who can get some outs either in the bullpen or fill in for when a guy goes down in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, Fleming is the kind of guy you can see Farhan getting, oh yeah, I can use him. You know, he's in a way Farhan's kind of like the West Coast version of the Rays, but with more money in some ways. You know, um, where he's thinking he can get the most out of, out of pitchers. So I can see it making sense from that point of view. Ruff is also kind of a, you know, he did some time in Asia. He's 35, 36 now, so you know he's not a long-term solution, but he could certainly fit the the need for a right-handed veteran bat for the Rays. I agree with that. I think the key to this trade is actually Ryan Murphy. I think the Giants like him a lot. Um, he actually came up in 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 the uh, in in Baseball America's ratings a little bit more. So, um, well, he, we have him at four point five. I'm not sure if that's what the uh, the trade has him at. Um, but you know, he's um he's a 45 rated prospect basically, and um, I think that's the kind of guy they could use uh, because they're going to need more pitching prospects in San Francisco. So I'm not sure, you know, if they'd be willing to give him up because they don't have a lot of you know, ready replacements outside of Webb, who's still very young. They've got Kyle Harrison, who's a top pitching prospect, but he's still kind of a ways away. You know, wasn't drafted all that long ago. Bednar, they just drafted out of Mississippi State, um, college World Series hero, but he's a ways away. Um, Matt Mikulski, another draft pick. So they get got some younger pitching prospects that are sort of a ways away. Um, so I'm not sure they want to give up a, a guy like Murphy. So that's my only hesitation. With that, uh, kind of pitching picture in mind. Uh, I think it makes this next deal and, and let's let's call it the last deal. We're we're over two hours. Yeah. Uh, let's it makes this one a little more questionable from their perspective. Uh, this is from Grover, and so it's a deal between the A's and the Giants, which uh, famously doesn't happen very often. <laughs> um, it has the Giants acquiring right-handed pitcher Frankie Montas, who is the uh, biggest pitcher the A's have available highest highest valued pitcher I'm not I'm not calling him fat uh, highest valued pitcher that the A's have available because he has two years of control compared mm -hmm. to just one for Bastin and Manaya uh, so he's at 39.6 million in exchange the A's would receive uh, outfield prospect Luis Matos at 21.8 left-handed pitching prospect Kyle Harrison at 14.3 as well as right-handed pitching prospect Ryan Murphy at 4.4 and, and I, I did refresh and, and check his player page we have Murphy at 4.4 on the site so I don't know if that okay. was a yeah. rounding thing or just hasn't gotten pushed through all the way yeah it's fair yeah um so <laughs> this makes all the sense in the world from the A's perspective if they are going to be retooling and and moving some of their two and three years of control type guys I mean, there's you're not going to find a deal with more upside in it, I don't think, than this one. Matos and Harrison are both potential future studs. Uh, they're gonna, they're they're two of the Giants' highest ranked prospects for a reason, and I think they're a couple of guys that really would be appealing to the A's in a trade for such a talented and controllable guy like Montas. But 
I don't think this necessarily fits the Giants' MO as of late. I don't know if they are confident enough in the next two years being their window to shift a couple of their bigger guys like this. And I think they've been perfectly content just, you know, kind of picking up the arms where they can. I mean, obviously they lost Kevin Gosman, and there were reports that they didn't even really make him an offer and that it's just not within their their picture to be it's not within their plans to be offering five six seven year deals to starting pitchers to veteran starting pitchers they'd rather stick with these like two three year deals they've been doing for the desclafani wood um who's the third one Cobb. getting Cobb. Cobb. there it is <laughs> for the, for those types of guys um and it's worked out well for them so why not i mean th- this just doesn't seem to fit their mold of how they build their rotation right now and so, I mean, it would be aggressive and it would close the gap between them and the Dodgers and, and Padres a lot more. And it would make them look a lot better than they do right now. But I think the price is just too high for them. I think they think too highly of Harrison and Matos to to move either of those guys right now. Yeah, I agree. It hasn't been uh, Zaidi's MO to trade prospects like that. Uh, I think this whole strategy is very clear now, which is ride the veterans you know, and, and compliment the veterans with more veteran signings, particularly in the rotation, you know, your Cobbs and Descalvani's and such, and, and get by with those guys while you wait for the next wave of prospects to come up. And so they're counting on those next wave because he wants it to build a sustainable model. So the last thing you want to, he, he would want to do is trade his three of his best prospects for a guy with two years of control because he's thinking, and plus he's got plenty of money to work with because the Giants have a large budget. So you know, he can always find another starting pitcher on the free agent market as he has. He's already, that's why you see him striking early with, with some of those guys. And they're all sort of guys who you can kind of make the best of. As I mentioned earlier, they're very smart about their pitching plans, so they get the most out of those guys. And so they can probably do that again with Cobb as well, they just signed. So they're like, okay, we're good. We're just going to keep signing those guys. We don't need to trade for Montas because that would kind of put a dent in our, our farm. And that's what we're counting on for 23, 24, and so on. So, um, yeah, I don't see them making this deal at all. I love it for the A's, but I don't see it happening for the Giants. Yeah, and one final minor factor. It's it's very close uh, as presented, 40.5 to the A's, 39.6 to the Giants. Uh, but Harrison has creeped up a tiny bit since this deal was proposed, so he's up to 16.5. Mm-hmm. Um, still, like, like I said with some of these other deals, it, not enough of a change to make this deal just not accepted, but it just does make it even a little bit more lopsided in the A's, factor, or in the A's favor, um, even if you don't factor in that it doesn't really work for the Giants, fit their long-term picture. Mm-hmm. All right, that's all I have. <laughs> Unless unless you want to do more, John, do you yeah. want like ten more? Like, <laughs> oh, we can just keep going on this forever. Yeah. I think you know, but yeah, yeah. these episodes are dangerous. They're yeah. <laughs> fun, and we both like to talk, <laughs> and that's how you end up uh, the, at the time we are right now. So, uh, do you have anything else to to close out the show with? Any anything else you want to add? No, just God, please, baseball, fix fix your problems. Let's get going again. Amen. I, I, I could really use it. Um, I, I tweeted out the other day that the way it's looking, I'm going to have to be relying on ASU baseball to, to hold me over. And uh, their their football season was a disaster and continues to be a disaster. And their basketball season has been a disaster. And so uh, things aren't looking good from that standpoint. So please, baseball, come back and save me. <laughs> Major yeah. League Baseball, I, 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 I would really like to uh, appreciate you instead. All right. All right, that'll do it for this week. 
thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and I guess enjoy the lockout as much as you can. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.